Greetings, true believers. <laughs> We're here. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited for this conversation. We'll probably dance around for a second or two while we wait for people to pile in. But, yo, we're here with Gordy Two-Shoes, Slick Dissident. Gordy's all bright and bushy-tailed, wide-eyed, because uh, he didn't stay up till 3 a.m. weaving with us last night. He got off, he got off lucky. But <laughs> if you guys didn't catch Weaving Spiders, welcome episode 68. It was uh, a doozy, a barn burner. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, I, um, I'll, I'm going to have to redo the work do my homework late and turn it in later. <laughs> now I got to do some study and watch until three in the morning tonight to analyze it for next. You week. have all week. You have all week, just like everybody else out there. So uh, what's up in the chat? We got one-on-one in the chat. His body is ready. He says, my body is ready. Okay. Oh yeah. On the Rockfin side, we see Kabir. What's up? What's up? Shan- Shannon, good to see you. Yes. Love it. Love it. I do need to come up with some nice little intro music so people can pile in and not really miss the beginning, but we're going to take a few moments here before we start. And since this movie, Shang-Chi, which by the way, if you haven't seen it, it's actually, in my opinion, I'll see what you guys think. Uh, in my opinion, it's worth watching. I thought it was great uh, for an action movie, comic book, superhero movie. It did follow some of the formulaic aspects, but the choreography was nice and the story wasn't horrible <laughs> and a lot of the imagery was nice too. So yeah. Um, what did you guys think overall before we start with this uh, I Ching throw? So compared to the, compared to the Eternals, it's leaps and bounds as far as acting. And that's not saying much because this acting wasn't good <laughs> either, <laughs> but um, some was all right. Some wasn't so good. Yeah, it was nah, it was okay. But I'm not a good judge like, of acting, to be honest. I mean, too naive. You know, but being a child of like grown up on on kung fu movies, I mean, what's not to love about this thing? You know, it's it's got all the the magic and and kung fu and stuff that we loved as we we're kids, which we know already is one of those nostalgia buttons that they love to just push on our generation that we're that grew up on UHF, you know, Kung Fu theater at, yeah. at 7 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday mornings, you know? Yeah. That if you grew up in shitty little uh, podunk town America, like that's all you had was Kung Fu theater. Yeah. And exploitation like, cinema. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Black exploitation and like Bruce Lee was like, that was the shit, man. And Godzilla movies, right? Like Godzilla yep. movies were the best. So we got- I uh, I wasn't big into movies for a long time, but now I'm on a samurai movie kick, and oh, uh, Gabriel's yeah. got me into Lone Wolf and Cub, which is definitely a, like labeled exploitation film, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, but before I ask Gabriel his overall thoughts, non analytical maybe, but just the the feel he got for the movie, mm-hmm. I wanted to say, if you didn't watch it and you don't intend to, this could still be an interesting stream for you because we are going to cover a lot of symbolism and concepts that are bigger and larger beyond just this movie. And we'll like the last month, uh, we'll go through the plot, hopefully in a synopsis level well enough that you'll get the gist of what we're decoding. So we got some screenshots. If you're out there listening to the RSS feed audio only version might like to pop over into YouTube or Rockfin and see our handsome mugs and the imagery we'll share with some of our commentary. But Gabriel, what did you think overall? 
I definitely agree with Gordy. It was a, a quite a step up from Eternals. Uh, it was nice because it had much more like interpersonal uh, dynamics uh, going on. There was an actual hero's journey involved. Um, and, uh, and also the overall theme was what much more personable in that it has to do with uh, uh, multi-generational trauma and, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, carrying the legacy of whatever the fuck our parents put us, <laughs> put, put us towards. Uh, it's very, uh, it's very pertinent to modern times in a kind of neat way. And it's got that standard Walt Disney, one parent dies at a young age trauma. You know, you got to have that or it wouldn't be mind control. <laughs> very, very good point there. And I liked the overall theme too. what you said about it being personal and there's a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. The main character, as we'll discuss probably throughout this analysis, had to balance and find it was all about like the journey of self-discovery for the main character, Shang-Chi as he learned to understand and integrate both the light and darkness in his heart, very much a yin yang, very much a, you know, making, making the darkness your own and applying that trauma and the growth that comes out of that trauma to forge your own path. And I appreciate that about it. Maybe a little overwrought in some aspects of that part of the plot. If we're like coming at this from a, (laughs) like a film critic level, but I don't consider this work we're doing here or myself a film critic. In fact, I kind of despise the concept of people who their living is eviscerating other people's creative work and not actually outputting anything creative of their own. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with a criticism that we have for the film that does come up, it's just observational, not objective and everything's preference. So overall though, yeah, my, I would say that this movie was a lot of fun. Some of the action sequences, especially when we talk about the the first big fight on the the bus, Mm -hmm. I was pretty much as excited for that during that fight scene as like what I remember it feeling like when I saw Morpheus and Neo fighting in the dojo in 1999. Like this is some good choreography. There's a lot of parkour involved and. So as far as like a, a ride, and I watched it a second time with my family. The first time I was on this tiny laptop. The second time I watched it at my my dad's home theater on his couch bed. <laughs> that was uh, that was really an, an entertaining way to watch it because the color grading is pretty fantastic. And there's like color symbolism in this film and really in every movie. Eternals, that was the thing too that maybe we didn't touch on a lot. But the color symbolism was a big part of this particular film that I'll get into. So what we're going to do to kick off now that we've got some people here with us, thanks for joining. I know this isn't as super exciting to everybody in the world as like our usual cosmological gravy trains, but we'll get into some awesome stuff. I have no doubt. We're going to kick it off with, because this is a Chinese film in a sense. I mean, it's American Chinese in many ways, but there's a lot of Chinese imagery and themes going on. And you know me, I'm a big I Ching guy. So, oops, drop the coin. We're all going to throw coins and we're going to get an I Ching card, possibly two, and see how that reflects our our analysis and if this I Ching hexagram is pertinent to the story of the film, which I expect it will be. Throwing coins is always that way. So 
let's do this thing. We'll throw, we're all three going to throw one coin. <laughs> so it's going to take a second and we're going to throw this six times the way that you do with the I Ching. So bear with us for that. And here we go. Let's do the first toss and let me know what you guys get. Tails. Heads. All right. Solid line on bottom. I had heads. All right. Well, five more times. Tails. Tails. Like I should flip it. Throwing just one coin doesn't feel right the way throwing three does. So I'm going to try to flip. All right. Third. Heads. Tails. Okay. Once again. Tails. Heads. I got tails also. What's up in the chat, LC King and Logan and Juliana? Good to see you guys. Mm-hmm. All right. Two more times, guys. Heads. Hmm? Tails. All right. Also had heads. Oh. <laughs> heads. Tails. Okay, this is an interesting one because there are no changing lines. That means it's a solid, okay, solid thematic expression here. Ooh. And let me decode this hexagram real quick. My handy dandy chart. And we have got, wow, so weird. So weird. <laughs> the reason this is weird is because this card is already on top of my deck. Due to the fact that I had a client session today and uh, what was interesting about him was that when we threw the coins for him, he got the same main hexagram as the client before him. But then his had changing lines into hexagram number three, which is difficulty in the beginning. And it's this uh, human form hatching out of a cosmic egg. And it's definitely wow. a perfect inappropriate thing for a hero's journey uh, like Shang-Chi goes through. It's about growing pains, awkwardness. He's very awkward in the beginning, mm-hmm. becoming stronger, confronting your doubts and fears and the vulnerability of inexperience. So, right. And even his, uh, his friend, his, his lady friend, she platonic lady friend, that's a awkward thing as hell. Yeah, she goes through quite the hero's journey, uh, which we'll get to. But yeah, that's appropriate for both of them. Yeah. And I'll just break down the elements of this real quick. It's the. Oh, but we got it twice. You see, we got the same symbol twice. Because twins is a theme in the movie. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, this was the top card on my deck from the last read. So the last hexagram when I last used the I Ching was this. And it just repeated itself. And. Like this kind of thing happens. And yeah, Logan's in the chat, actually, the, the guy who had did this session with me. So even weirder. <laughs> it's like he brought it in. But wow. so, yeah, you'll get a little more insight into this there, buddy. That was a great read we had today. Um, so this is the lake or the abyss, the deep water above the arousal or the lightning, the thunder. So bioenergetically, it it constitutes the supporting of the unconscious with our actual physical vitality. And in a sense, this is like your unconscious mind being programmed by the quality of your health and your vibrancy. And also the way that as we increase the flow of our chi in our field and in our body, we uncover more aspects of the unconscious, both for good and bad. Our 
our potentials and our fears are all in there together. So it's a, you know, it has a lot of meanings that are associated with difficulty, but it's also like infinite potential. It's like uh, becoming adept or adult as well. It's not just saying that it has all these growing pains and awkwardness. It's, it's also insinuating that at the end of the process, there will be an emergence of something greater. And so, yeah, that's uh, perfect. <laughs> perfect yeah. for this movie. Absolutely. And didn't they it's say, the right? Right. Yeah. And at the end credits, they say uh, Shang-Chi will return. Actually, what they say at the end of the credits, the 10 rings will return. That's it. 10 rings will return. Although it's quite evident that Shang-Chi will also return. Nice. And yeah, that's something that I have in my notes to definitely talk about. Here's the screenshot of that. Maybe I'll just start here. Why not? <laughs> I'm sure this will carry us into some interesting stuff too. So here's the screenshot from at the end of the second post credit scene. Marvel famously does a couple of scenes throughout the credits. And what do we have here? The 10 rings will return, but let's see if I can look at it here where you can see uh -huh. what's hidden behind that text. Oh, yeah. Death so, card. <laughs> we're kind of starting at the end here because it's the, like, the very last thing you see. But that symbol is interesting. And I'm sure we'll talk about it as we go through. But yeah, Gabriel, what's uh, what are we looking at there in the middle? What is that symbolic of in the middle of the Ten Rings? Yeah, that's the uh, that's the five petaled flower of Venus. And if anybody looks at the kiss of Venus, it is the uh, the pattern that Venus makes as it retrogrades five times through its cycle. And it is on the death card, the standard uh, rider rider weight tarot death card number 13 is a scald knight in in armor a knight wearing armor riding on a horse and he's waving a banner and the banner has uh that flower that flower five petal flower of venus on the banner and the knight is a skeleton yep. just like that skull right in the middle there so the yep and that's not the same 10 rings logo that it looks like at the beginning so she is I know we're starting at the end here. This is <laughs> interesting, though, because the, the symbol morphs as she takes over. But yes. I want to talk about, I guess, since the movie is titled Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And here's the death card. I'll pull this. Oh, nice. Now so we can look at that. There it is. So there's the rider, oh, the skull, and that exact same symbol. Oh, man. You know what else, Chance? Put it back up, like pull it up so we can see the bottom. The horse is going over the body of the king. The king has fallen, mm -hmm. and that and that's very appropriate because at the end of by the end of the movie, the father figure is dead or gone. That's incredibly appropriate. That it's yep, the he, yeah, he's definitely a king. And the Ten Rings for people that are not familiar with the film is a secret society, an ancient secret society of ninja warrior soldiers led by the immortal in the comics. He's called the Mandarin. Uh, his name, I believe in the film is Winway. I'm pretty sure it's something like that. You got so that's Shang-Chi's father. He also has a sister and we were looking at a picture of his sister who takes over the organization at the end of the film. But this idea of the 10 rings as a 
I think this is important actually to start with after all, because it's the, <laughs> what do we have? What are these secret societies that are influencing the world from time immemorial? Well, it's all based in this Kabbalistic system of 10. It's the, I like what you were saying in the weave last night that <laughs> what would life be like if you just renounced all numbers? Because <laughs> a lot of the inverted, the inverted aspect of the Luciferian or Promethean idea or Venusian idea, this is my personal opinion. I believe it began at the point where humanity lost the mystical correspondence of numbers and began looking at everything transactionally. And I've talked about this before, but to me, that makes sense. And when it was just about the purely material and abstract mathematics, instead of the spiritual component to number and the resonance of number. So we have this idea of the 10, which we've talked about all the time and previous weaves and stuff, the Pythagorean tractus, for example, that, pyramidal shape of 10 points that adds to 10, right? One and then two and then three and then four. And yeah, I mean, if you, if it hadn't, if you haven't caught on yet, we're talking about with these secret societies, the influence of the world and the theme of this 10 rings, it's say 10 ism. You say 10. <laughs> so that's uh, really important because this organization's shadow looms over the course of the whole film. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his name is uh, Wen Wu, and I think the Ten Rings is like... That's right, it's Wen Wu. Yeah, and so that's a WW, and WW in Standard Reduced Ordinal Gematria is a 33 in uh, Septenary, yes, and then it's a, a 55 in Ordinal. So it, but either way, it's like, it's a magic square of Saturn. If it's 33, three by three. And if it's five by five, it's a magic square of Mars. But either way, it's like patriarchal dom- dominance, uh, you know, the pinnacle of control. Either way. Cool. Yeah. Either way. It's, he's the master. He's the, he's the top notch. Yeah. just know he's, and you know that from the, the get go that he's top dog. Yep. As soon as he comes in, you know, with what is he in a helicopter? I think the first time we see him. Oh, well, he's on horseback in the olden days when he. Oh, right. A thousand years in the past because he's immortal. Right. Right. He's the immortal general, the king. Yeah, the the great Khan, they call him. Right. Yep. And he's even got a a pentagonal breastplate in that opening scene. He's he's coming forward with the five on his chest, uh, which is. Kind of interesting. I think that yeah. Wu is five in Chinese. Uh, one of Mandarin. I don't know. I don't know which, but I think Wu means five also. And his name is Wei Wu. Yeah, you're right. In, Dave, the that's opposite of opposite right. of Wu. The Wu Wei. It's uh, is it Win Wu or Win Wu? Win Wu. Wow. That goes, that goes back to the my old thing about all the world wars. World War One, World War Two. We're saying five by five. We're hailing Mars every time we say WW. And right and he now, he wears five rings on each arm, yes. and arms are an anagram for Mars. Mars, the god of war. You use your arms to fight, right? And there's even this five verse five aspect of later in the movie when Shang Chi acquires five of the rings, and his father has five of the rings, and they're fighting. 
And we haven't explained what the rings are very well, but I guess one of you guys want to take a stab at that. Go for it, Gordy. To, uh, no, honestly, I. It's just. It's harness chi, is what it is. It's. I mean, it's a. It's an allegory for, for harnessing chi into a material thing, which I kind of think really relates to orgone myself personally. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the vibe I, I get every t- single time that I, I've seen like, cause that's the theory, right? That orgone is a, is a chi uh, generator or, or uh, accumulator. And we're all chi accumulators. And if we can, Harness that chi, you know, because I think, you know, a lot of us like, like Mitch and has, uh, and Lindsay have demonstrated that orgone does actually work as a chi, um, or prana or whatever you want to call it. That's what this, this whole thing is, is, is about manipulating the energies around us and putting them into a, a you know material thing and being able to manipulate that i think is being demonstrated um but that's just a, i mean i don't feel like that was necessarily one of the things that they were putting in there i'm saying mm-hmm. this is what i'm i'm reading nice uh, and this this is one of the cool things about this is that i love tearing stuff down with you guys cuz i think we see things that that the author's intention did not see, or maybe the original author of the original mythology meant mm-hmm. that was missed when it was passed down and passed down and passed down. Cause this is what a lot of us in these communities are doing and we're kind of proving it. Yeah. Like we're proving the theories that these, these things are possible. Mm-hmm. And that's, this is again, the boots on the ground thing that, you know, we love to talk about it, of making it a practical, however all this stuff is, it's, there's a practicality to it and we can use it. Right. And, and kind of tracking the alterations that they made from the original is important. It kind of tells you what direction we're being steered, you know, what things are being, mm-hmm. what missing pieces have been removed from the puzzle, you know, and it shows intention when you can highlight that. I want to make a point about the 10 rings here that just popped mm-hmm. into my head. <clears throat> well, first let me, here's a slight correction, you know, not to, <laughs> not to call you out. Gabriel is a good call to think about the shape of his breastplate, but I went to look at it at the beginning of the movie. And oh, it's actually, hex. yeah, it's a hex. Damn. So that's I think more- it's just as symbolic, maybe more appropriate, honestly, because yeah, that's- that five and six combination it's very yeah. important that five to the six. Yep. So that's more three by three, Gordy, the magical square of Saturn. That's more Saturnian. And he is a Kronos figure because the entire film he's either having his children attacked or basically trying to kill them. <laughs> and that's equivalent to devouring them in, in a metaphorical sense. But mm-hmm. so let me see if I can find a picture that shows the rings better. Yeah, so yeah. this is maybe not the best picture, but here it is. <laughs> the rings, 
the ten rings. He's it said that he found them and they fell from the sky. So immediately I'm thinking Pierre Sabak's work because he's all and he's Pierre, Pierre Sabak is all in on the idea that the biggest aspect of the power differential that the ruling classes of history have always held behind the scenes was that the temples were hiding a ship or a craft or a vessel. Now, this vessel is symbolized by the concept of wheels, circles, rings, shields. Yeah. But specifically, the shape of the circle is very important. So here's an artifact of celestial origin, metaphorically symbolic of this type of a vessel that Sabak talks about. That is the source of the power of the secret society ruler who controls the world, who is also made immortal by this artifact. And that's something, yeah, when you do your homework on the weave last night, we were going hard on vampires for a good chunk of it and actual psychic vampirism, energy vampirism, but the high level kind. Yeah. The creepiest thing that they talked about was the, in this temple of set was the posture of effortless power. (laughs) Anyway, so this this guy does have that type of posture about him and does vampirize others in the sense of like, you know, controlling them, intimidating them, getting everybody to follow his will. And he's got this immortality from the artifact. So all of that is very important to consider as we go forward that there's this other story being told behind the story, whether it is intentional or a type of atavistic archetypal expression coming through our deep history and our memory as a species, that this symbolically, these rings are representative of the hidden hand, these rings that come off of his hands, they're around his wrists. And uh, yeah, so all that about the rings is probably pretty important. I'm sure we'll have more to say about it. Take the screen share down. Point out here, um, notice both of those colors when they first show him is black and blue. Like his colors of, the colors of Wu is black and blue, just to remind us for later. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Indicating that the abyss, the the lower, the, the the moon pillar. Yeah, the moon pillar, the dark season, so to say, underworld. Interesting that our hexagram, the colors are blue and red. Yeah. Elsie even said something about blue and red early in the chat there. Nice. (laughs) Red and blue. Did they ever leave that out? So that's a great segue into another overarching theme that should be introduced before we continue forward into the like beat by beat plot analysis that we might be doing. Uh, The word Shang-Chi is very close to Zhang-Chi. It's basically an X instead of an SH, but phonetically almost the same. Zhangxi is the name for chess, Chinese chess, which is a different, is a variation of chess. And there's so much that we'll probably notice and that I've already got sort of in mind to bring up throughout the plot pertaining to this Chinese chess, which I'm admittedly, I've never played it. So I, I only know so much about the rules, but the symbolism of Chinese chess instead of white and black, like the Western version is red and black, kind of like checkers. And 
this is super important throughout the film and I'll dig up some screenshots or we'll see some imagery that demonstrates this, but we'll just point it out that the heroes of this film wear red and the villains wear black. So throughout the movie, especially the second time I watched it, I noticed a a very strong correlation to Chinese chess in the plot and in the imagery and in the symbolism, which I think is cool too, because we're talking about secret societies. We're talking about 5d chess (laughs) as we're told it is. They even, you know, this, this chess game actually does go into other dimensions literally in the story. So it could be metaphorical to 5d chess in that sense. And uh, by the end of the film, Shang-Chi is actually wearing red and black, red on top, black on bottom. So nice putting his light side or the good guy side on top. If we're looking at that as a hexagram of his darkness, making his darkness subservient to the light and owning both sides of himself, Mm -hmm. I think is pretty cool. So sure. There's a lot of other thoughts about the chess metaphor, but I'm going to stop rambling and let another person take over for a second while I dig up, another hexagram that I think correlates to what I just said. Nice. Yeah. He's the middle, he's the middle pillar. He's the right one between that, that encompasses both. Yeah. The, he's the, in the liminal space. Right on. Yeah. yeah. I, I know yeah. that black and, and, and it's the, the same thing with star Wars, you know, oh, yeah. your, your dad is the villain and you have to, you know, purify yourself and go through the, the initiation, you know, thing. Go ahead. Yeah. Returning yeah. balance. Yeah. Right. You're returning balance. Exactly. So I think the, uh, the script, uh, from what I dug up, the script that is on ever all the rings on their, their flag is called seal script. And I think that's interesting because, you know, um, Seals are kind of a, a biblical concept. You know, we had Solomon had seals. Uh, in, you know, it, kind of, it almost goes without saying. When you see uh, these symbols encased in any shape, uh, in, encased inside of a ring, inside of a triangle, you know, these are, it's all seals. But that's literally what the type of language that is on the, uh, the ten rings is called seal script. And uh, one thing, one little Easter egg that I was able to uh, borrow from somebody else was the uh, somebody pointed out that in his room he had Kung Fu Hustle poster on his wall. Oh, yeah. 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 And the Warriors from the 70s. Right. Right. And um, and Kung Fu Hustle had a character in that film that had the rings who Mm -hmm. fought with the rings. That's right. And this is where I wrote it down. The name of those rings are called. Hun Kar, like H U N K A R. Hun Kar is the name of these those forearm battle rings that we're talking about. So that's kind of cool to know the the name of those rings. And this is uh, just a point of interest for me. But since we brought Eching into the equation, when you put the red over the black, you get sixteen, which is enthusiasm representative wow. of, of self-expression, inspiration of others, totality of success, confidence, all of these things. So if you yes. put the black over the red, you get the turning point, number 24. So both of these combinations are pretty wild for yeah. expressing what 
the character Shang Chi does throughout the film, but this one is particularly cool imagery. Yeah, you know, sixteen. There were sixteen pieces on each side of the checkerboard. And that's kind of interesting. Nice. Yeah, cool. good point. Nice, nice connection there. So, uh, what's our? Let's see. Where where did we go now? We find out he's <laughs> the uh, big baddie, and Shang Chi's finding out his past. He has to admit his his yes. past, his friend, to kind of initiate the what happens with, uh, or he, he gets sucked up into the fight. And so he has to admit to his friend, Oh yeah, I'm a, By the I'm way, a son of a, of a Chinese gang lord, a magician, Chinese gang lord who's eternal or something. Yeah. yeah so the right? film like, begins with him saying Chi going by the name of Sean, which is close to Shang. And they make a joke about that. And he's working as a valet for, with his uh, friend, Katie, Katie, they introduced for this film. She does not exist in the comics, which kind of makes her a wild card of a character hmm. in terms of what to expect out of her maybe in future future films and in this one. But yeah, they, they get on a bus together um, and Shang-Chi is wearing this amulet and he gets accosted by a dude with a machete for an arm and a group of assassins on the bus. And it's a really wild fight scene, actually. That's the most entertaining part of the movie to me. <laughs> All kinds of parkour and crazy uh, ninja stuff in that fight scene. And that exposes him as being a trained warrior, really, with the skills to actually defeat a group of armed assassins in close quarters. And, you know, the question is posed by Katie to him, which sets the tone for the theme of the whole film. Who are you? And that's an answer that he can't really, he can tell her his history, but he can't really answer that question. And in fact, he lies about the darker aspects of his history mm. and that he's killed before. Mm-hmm. He definitely kills some people in this movie. I mean, it's in self-defense, but right. it's not a PG Marvel movie, which is why their relationship being so platonic and uh, hands off is pretty strange, actually. <laughs> it feels awkward and out of place, to be honest. Yeah, in terms of a Hollywood movie, I'm not saying I'd rather have like a huge romantic subplot be in the forefront, but when it's just like halfway like that, it kind of, I don't know, it did, it feels awkward for sure. Well, I wondered how much they did we really need, you know, with these new translations, I always wonder how they're going to treat sidekicks. Um, because like Bucky in Captain America, Bucky was really a sidekick in Captain America for what 50 years 60 years and until the MCU came about and all of a sudden Bucky's a um, an equal to Captain America almost Mm -hmm. like he's 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 already Winter Soldier and like he's already already I mean I guess he had to go through the transmutation whatever of of the the Russian yeah. Russian MK Ultra stuff, right? Exactly. Which also this comes up too in this mm-hmm. one. So mm-hmm. first film, you're talking about the Ten Rings. If you notice in the very first Iron Man movie, this was the organization that was running the the terrorists who, uh, who kidnapped Tony Stark, kidnapped Tony Stark, and made him 
forced him into the the initiation to to create himself into Iron Man. Yep. Yep. So, they were they were in uh the Iron Man one, they were in Iron Man two as uh they aided Ivan Vanko in Iron Man two, and right. then they were also the weapons dealers in Ant Man. So the Ten Rings gang is kind of floating in the background uh throughout all the Marvel. Right. It, and it's the it's the access power kind of thing with uh um Hydra being kind of the Nazi nice. um imagery, whereas uh Shing or the Ten Rings is kind of China, I don't know, or Japan maybe at the time, maybe when it when this started. You know, because mm-hmm. I mean or like the Yakuza equivalent. Right. The, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of some, some sort of anagram for that. Mm-hmm. Since we're back on the Ten Rings concept again, Gabriel, do you want to give us a little bit more information about your thought process with this uh, oh, super, yeah. super graphic? <laughs> yeah, man. Oops. Yeah, so uh, right away when I heard Ten Rings, I thought back to our work on the Eternals, and I realized that it uh, has a powerful correspondence to the Sephiroth, the ten uh, the ten spheres of the Sephiroth. But I think this uh, this ties in with Elsie King's work, also. Which this is not to say that they're different. Maybe they're all one and the same. Maybe they all the correspondence is is the framework that uh, that connects them all. So I pulled up some uh, images of these ancient calendars for uh, tracking the lunar standstills. And it turns out the this spiral shape here is uh, that's a modern day uh, the one on the ground, the the brown the gray one is a modern-day representation of ancient systems that were used to track lunar standstills. The one, uh, the one up above, the spiral above on the browner tablet, that's actually uh, from uh, Chaco Canyon. And this is where the Chacoans had a calendar that was based on a 10-ring system, a 10-ring spiral. If you count the rings, there's ten of them concentrically right there. They're yeah. all Arizona like this. I've, I've, you can stumble on them over in um, Florence, which is right between here and Phoenix. There's just some of these, just petroglyphs all over the place in the in the rocks in Arizona. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so they're essentially a calendar. And what will happen is there the alignment of the moon at the uh, grand solar minimum or I'm sorry, the, the lunar the lunar standstill, the minimum lunar standstill will be marked at the outermost ring. And at the maximum lunar standstill, it will slowly tra- trace its way through the uh, nine, 8.6 years, the, uh, almost nine years. It'll track its way into this center ring slowly and work its way in and out, back and forth, throughout the minimum and maximum lunar standstills. And so uh, that's exactly what I was thinking about when I heard, uh, you know, that this is, this title is called Nine Rings, or the uh, Ten Rings, Legend of the Ten Rings. And 
I did some of the gamatria, and sure enough, uh, what word is that? Is that pendants at the top there, Chance? Yeah, I. if I save this, if you give me a second, I can actually make this bigger. Okay. I just need to save it to hard drive and then open it in a different way. So, so I it did, is pendants. You were doing gematria on that word. Okay. Yeah, I did a lot of uh, gematria. Like I did gematria for Legend of Ten Rings, and I got a whole lot of nines. Uh, I did Ten Rings alone, and I got a lot of sevens. And then uh, Shang Chi, I got a whole lot of sixes. But this is pendants. The word pendants actually uh, has a ninety-three in two different ciphers, uh, which was really interesting to me because a lot of people know that's old. Uh, old Crowley had a big heart on for ninety-three, and his <laughs> his disciples got a big thing for it. But it's, it doesn't belong to them. It does not belong to them. It's it, it's a it's its own significant number uh regardless of those fools so uh what i found interesting was when you take 93 and you multiply it by two you get 186 and 18.6 that is the standard differentiation between the lunar standstill minimum and the lunar standstill maximum and there are two pendants in the film so one pendant is a 93 and the other pendant is a 93 and they add up to this 18.6 and each pendant mar- is like a markation or a pillar, you could say, uh, marking wow. the differential between the two lunar standstills, minimum and the maximum. Pend end is a lot like pent, pend, pent, yes. pent being the five. And so if there's, that's five by five again. Yeah, which, you know, brother and sister, Cheng Chi has a little sister, which we already kind of alluded to. Uh-huh. They both have one of these pendants, so yeah. that also gives us another ten correspondence. And you know, it makes me think of the Yod Hey Vav Hey too. The Yod being ten, the Hey being five, and the Vav being six, and the Hey other Hey being five. Yeah, basically. So the Yod divides into two to Adam and Eve, and then they couple with six or sex to give us the 26, which is the the number of the supreme being. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, these, those, and they, they try to pervert that too, of the, the swirl, the spiral. We see that oh, all, right. all the time again. Yeah. If we're going here, um, did before we get too far into the movie of of uh, the the parts they when he meets his sister, um, he ends up in this uh, underground fight club that his sister created, right, to get the the pendants back together because his pendant was stolen. And I don't know if you guys noticed the the uh, Donnie Darko reference in that, but he, to, in order to escape the, cause the forces are coming. There it is. I'm oh, on it, dude. Oh, I, as soon as I saw it. that thing, I knew it was important. They show it right at the beginning of the scene. And I was like, that's going to matter. And then it does. It's part of their escape. <laughs> yeah. big, like for those listening and not looking at the screen, a big golden skull 
with bunny ears, kind of like Frank from Donnie Darko. Yeah. Metallic bunny face, Frank being more silver, but still it's very uh, similar. And if you hear that crazy sound, my cat is scratching at the door violently desperate to get my attention. (laughs) (laughs) Right now. (laughs) But dad, dad, dad. This was a theme also in Transformers uh, that I did with uh, uh, one-on-one, big up brother, uh, uh, jumping out of a window. That old, that old age, old adage would your folks say, if your friend jumped out a window, would you jump out with him? If your friend jumped over a cliff, would you jump over with him? And that actually, that happens in Transformers. They like shoot out a window and they have to jump out to save that, save their own lives. And here again, we have, Oh, let's just jump out the window to save ourselves. And I think that's just interesting because we've got a, a bit of a kamikaze programming going through the collective right now. Uh, just wanted to point that out. And that's that's part of the uh, initiation as well is is oh, nice. jumping out and and jumping out in, into the abyss, trusting that it's going to work out somehow. Right. You know, yeah, very um, much an initiation moment uh, for Katie, similar to in the Matrix when Morpheus oh, yeah. leads Neo to the edge of the building. Another like I, I kept oh, thinking yeah. Matrix stuff in this film. Maybe it's because of the martial arts scenes, but. Yeah, they. I'll, I'll see if I can pull up a screenshot and maybe, you know, somehow appease this cat that's making all this noise. But <laughs> see if I can pull up a screenshot of them on the edge of the building where they're fighting on bamboo scaffolding, which is right. sketchy AF. Actually, bamboo is a big part of this movie, too, which is interesting yeah. as a as a thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I wanted to. We'll be jumping around a lot. I've got some things that maybe pull us a little earlier into the film, but it doesn't really matter. Totally. But while we're here, I wanted to see what Gabe thought about this skull in yeah. context with other skull stuff. That it's gold, that it's a rabbit, that it's yeah. a head that they use to you know, break glass in case of emergency and right. also initiates Katie kind of into like the real the real danger, the real near death experience. I guess the first fight on the bus is pretty much a near death experience too, but uh-huh. this one seems way more precarious in her. Uh, she does almost die in this as well, way closer to death than in the other scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, definitely. You like Gordy called it uh, the jump leaping into the abyss, leaping into the unknown. And what is the phrase that we tell people when they research something they've never heard before? They have to go down a rabbit hole. And this is definitely hailing to that to the to the rabbit hole, uh, and you know, learning the the full width and breadth and magnitude of what a dangerous world we're actually in, and that you just got to go, you got to go, got to deal with it, you got to face that devil, you got to stare him down at each and every one of us in our own way, and yeah, it is that- skull and bones too. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Man. No, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. totally. It's totally the the skull, the owning owning of the the skull for power, too, mm-hmm. and recognizing you know that. Yeah, she's I, the top of her organization, and she's got the skull. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, right after they jump out, one of the things that um, really stood out to me is he couldn't he wouldn't kill any of his assassins. And his sister says, did America make you soft? 
as if right. like you knew all this. This is what you were made for, because that's yep. what you find out that he was trained to be an you know the world's greatest assassin, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, just another quick point is this: the skull in piracy. The skull is the symbol of oh shit, hit the deck here. That here it comes. We're about to get raided. And that's what's happening in that scene. The people are like starting to scatter and you can feel the chaos percolating. And then they grab the symbol of the pirate. And, uh, in, uh, it's just very, it's just very interesting that they chose a skull to, as a symbol of escape, you know, to retreat. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's, uh, um, yeah, they, and all of the the bamboo scaffolding, it's one of those interesting things. You know, my, the last time we watched it, my wife mentioned something about them using bamboo on the, the steel and, and uh, glass buildings. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think that, you know, that, you know, this is, okay, this is the, it's from the, it's going from the artificial world to the real world. Right. Like the, the land of, of glass and, and steel to the organic from the artificial to the organic. And one of the things that, that I kind of was thinking about when the, in the first fight that they show you, you're in introduced to in the fight club just before this happens yeah. is it's woo. Dr. Strange's um, Wong. Or, I'm sorry. Wong. Thank you. Wong. From oh, yeah. Doctor Strange fighting the uh, uh, abomination. abomination, abomination, the abomination. Who in the comic was like an old school um, Hulk villain. He was like the yeah. anti Hulk, and yeah. he's he's uh, relegated to like just Fight Club uh, fodder now. Entertainment with Wong now seems like Wong is like uh, keeping an eye on him and helping him become less monstrous, at least in his behavior. Right, he's his handler, his keeper. Yeah, but it's but he's the um, the magician, the the chi magician, because that's the sorcerer supreme now. The sorcerer, right? Exactly. Yeah, because isn't isn't he given the the mantle stone, the mantle? Right, he's now the the sorcerer supreme. Yeah, so because yeah, uh, Doctor Strange blipped. Right. And let's go back to the blip thing, because that's important, too. And I have some thoughts about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, let's another. Let me find it. Since we're talking about this fight scene where they're in the, the fight club fighting pit. Let me find it. Thought it was kind of interesting, this imagery of. You know, they're in an underground, illegal, dark web fight club but they're still mostly all masked up <laughs> they're still obedient they're still obedient i mean that's that's, that's really mixed messages that's like hmm. what in the fuck yeah you're still a you can still be a rebel and cool and edgy even though you are afraid of cooties enough to wear the face diaper right and that actually comes up again at the very end of the movie oh yeah. wait, i'll scrub to it in a second but at the very end of the movie I just pulled up the uh, the actual stream so I could scrub around in it. That seems like the easiest thing. Yeah, that's, good. <laughs> that's a good idea. If you see, maybe I, yeah, here we go. 
So at the very end of the movie, after the sister, I think it's uh, Zhang Ling, Zhao Ling, something like that is her name. I'm sorry for maybe not oh, being right, great. Sister. Zhang Li. Oh, no, that's the mama. I forget her name. I wrote it down somewhere. I get it. Thank you. I meant to do that, but I, I prepared in a lot of other ways. Mm-hmm. So she, this is like kind of more classic uh, Disney empower the princess thing. Not that women can't be powerful, but you know, it also doesn't historically go well when you put women in the military. And when her father was in charge of the 10 rings, it was all men. Women weren't allowed to train. She wasn't allowed to train. She had to teach herself to fight by watching them secretly, but she's got her army of female ninjas. Now back there on the throne, but most of them, it's just a handful that aren't, and I don't know why a few aren't. But they're all wearing, mm. they're all wearing the mask, and it's not like a ninja mask. These are like cooties masks. Cooties you know? masks. Yeah. A few of them have bandanas that make them look kind of more like they're trying to be bandit- bandits or whatever. But that those is- are the medical masks. They may be wow. custom in black, but dude, they're that putting is that in the movie even for the fucking villains. She's right. setting her up to be like the next villain. These, this is her evil army, and that is exciting. Okay. Cognitive dissonance at its worst. That's crazy. Thank you for bringing that forward, Chance. And you know what I'm seeing right now? I just got goosebumps big time. I'm kind of tripping. So we've got the look at on the walls. There's the uh, the tiger, the foo dog tiger on the left and the dragon on the right. Right. Painted on the walls. Mm -hmm. That's the Shaolin Temple. That's the gates to the Shaolin Temple. Anytime a Shaolin monk would go on a pilgrimage, they had to go, come through a sacred corridor to leave the, the temple. And at the end of the corridor was... The dragon a, court. This is what they're entering. Yes. There's a perpetually burning um, vessel that is kept hot at all times. And in order to leave out of this sacred corridor for their pilgrimage, they needed to put their forearms on this burning vessel, and it would singe, they would be branded with the mark of the uh, of the tiger, essentially, and the dragon on the other one. And they had to pick up the, the urn, the burning urn, and then rotate it and walk out the door and set it back down. And this meant that every uh, Shaolin monk who would go on a pilgrimage, the markation on their arms would rotate so the next guy would have the dragon on the other and the tiger on the opposite one. Oh, interesting. And so there was a kind of a weird tracing of the lineage of who's left the, the temple and who's not. Hmm. That's I thought weird. you were going to bring up the whole thing of like having the lions in the courtyard before you cross the moat. Yes, that yes, that always at the gates, right? Lions are always guarding the gates. To sense your fear, and if you maybe are like there may be some other you brought this up before that it has something to do with possibly testing the the bloodline of the individual trying to enter the court, oh yeah, man, and We're about the Jubilee Palace in Ethiopia, yeah Good. maybe maybe if you want to give a synopsis of that because mm-hmm. when we get into talking about Talo, the mystical city in the other dimension, I think it applies because they are. They they are the dragon lineage, you know. They're powered by the the dragon, 
uh-huh. and it's a secret society as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. And so they've got those food dog drag or a food dog lion canines guarding their village as well. A yes. lot of, and I think that this even when applied to like the European Occidental versions of this symbolism and the royal families that rep with the lion crest, that it's all symbolism coming from the East. Yeah, I mean, originally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, I'll try to be quick. I'll try to be real quick. <laughs> but the the Jubilee Palace was it, it has been guarded by lions for many generations. And the lions are uh, their pheromonal presence dominates the courtyard. And anybody who wanted to come into the presence of the king, and this is not just Selassie, this is the whole lineage of kings before and even after. Any person who is seeking the counsel of the presence of the king, they have to go through the courtyard where the lions uh, rule and the, uh, the, they eat there. And so any human who goes through this, uh, this, this chamber, they will uh, have either one of two responses. They will either be intimidated and diminished in their posture to the point that they can't even uh, 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 present themselves in front of the king. They'll be intimidated. Or theoretically, if you're of a more alpha bloodline, conceivably, we're talking about the RH negatives. If you're a certain other blood type, you're not going to be intimidated by no fucking lions. And you're going to walk up in front of the king and you're going to stand tall and proud and present yourself. In fact, you might even be encouraged. You might even be stimulated. You might be vasodilated by the fact that you just walked through a very dangerous situation. And the king knows to read those signs and to know what kind of what you're made of, what kind of man you're made of. And so all of this hails back to um, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. And Daniel was tested by being put in the lion's den for seven days. And the king came to check on Daniel and he was expecting the lions to be like, "Mm, give me some more. But it turns out Daniel was kicking it. He was chilling with the lions. It was all good. And this is indicating that there are certain bloodlines that uh, that, uh, don't have any problem with that intimidation factor. Hmm. Super good. Okay, so... To go back to that point about the um, cognitive dissonance regarding cooties and masks, I had, I you know, we try to pay attention to the background symbolism in these films. Sometimes that stuff, I mean, it's hard to do because you got to pause and really zoom in, right? But there was one particular scene when he's going up to her, uh, to Katie's apartment early in the film. And there's a couple of times when it's referenced, actually. But yeah. So one of the scenes with him and Katie in San Francisco early on, they're out with some friends at a bar. And one of their friends says, we have to accept the reality. What does she say? I have the direct quote. Let me, uh, let me look at this direct quote and then I'll bring the picture back. We're now living in a world where half the population can just disappear. And we, you know, if you've listened to Crow Triple Seven over the last couple of years, they've done really extensive work about the Avengers endgame movie. And about how obvious this idea of the blip. So to summarize that, in the uh, the last Avengers movies, the villain 
takes out half of the population of the universe with a snap of his fingers. And they're calling it the blip, which I'm sure there's some kind of (laughs) reason why it's called the blip too. And we could maybe figure that out, but they're obviously referring to the fact that when this all started, they're giving us the fear program that like, you know, half the population could die from this, from this, uh, pandemic thing. So here's a scene where he's going into her apartment they just show this doorway for half a second. And as you can see, there's this graffiti on the walls here. Post blip anxiety. You're not alone. National blip support hotline. You know, they, they, they're really hammering at home that this is a metaphor for the trauma of mass die off, if you will. Yeah. And there's this weird stuff here, like blip sync, whatever that is. It's a dating. It has something to do with like helping somebody. I think it's a dating app for people who have uh, been lost someone in the blip. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, cause you come back and uh, you know, I guess that's part of the trauma is that like your partner may have moved on. They may be with someone else, all kinds of cool stuff like that. Fun times. <laughs> and, but when I saw this blip sync thing, what jumped into my mind was like, what if it's uh where you go and they insert you into all the photos of your family and friends as if you were really there. <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty wild. That's a wild read. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not what it means. It's probably a dating app, but you know, I, I just wanna... wanted to make sure we caught this blip stuff. So that, yeah. cause it's literally throughout all the phase four post Avengers, Marvel films and uh-huh. TV shows. I, I assume I haven't seen, I've only seen a fraction of them, probably only these two in the, the third Spider-Man film. Hey, look at, and this is interesting. The uh, addresses are one eight one seven and eight one nine. I thought about and that, and I I couldn't really figure out what may be significant about that. Yeah, well, the one it's not showing is one eight six or eight one six. Wouldn't that be on the other side of the street? Because you got to do odds, right? And evens. Oh, interesting. Read. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. But it is. It's a. It kind of has a its own blip intrinsic to it like if 50 percent of the population is gone then you're missing that even number that 816 is pulled out of the you know we're supposed to be looking for the one that they're not showing it's not yeah and just a, a quick note i'm seeing you know you got six mm-hmm. yeah and you got one girl's doing the you know the two fingers on the eye standard hollywood symbolism and you got the one dude or down below they're doing mm-hmm. the two fingers and just a quick note is, uh, you know, that's Typhon. That's a, it means peace. We all know it means peace. And that's what they're probably mean by it. But throughout this movie, I'm seeing little tiny hints and indications of um, some of that Typhonian, uh, maybe some HP Lovecraftian uh, uh, signs and symbols, because that comes up big time in the culmination. The main monster at the end is going to be some HP Lovecraft shit for sure. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just point. I'll just make this point. Their very first time they go to karaoke and they're singing together, they're singing uh, Aladdin's song, um, "A Whole New World." Oh yeah! And we got into Aladdin we, a little bit in the weave. Yes, and thank you, Juan. Juan, that was so awesome. I now have the correspondence of Aladdin and Arabian Nights being a favorite subject of H.P. Lovecraft 
And here now we can see a lot of signs and symbols coming through uh, with perfect clarity. Uh, but yeah, they were singing a whole new world uh, in the uh, in the karaoke scene, which is kind mm-hmm. of appropriate because of the blip. But it's also definitely H.P. Lovecraft nudge nudge wink wink, and that that culminates a big time at the end scene. So I'll just put that forward. We got some Typhonian sig- signals going. Okay, so here's another thing that's earlier in the film to get into. But when Shang-Chi is a child, they, they show this flashback scene, a few different flashback scenes of him as a kid. And um, instead of his characteristic red, he's wearing green as a child in, in most of the scenes until the death, the death of his mother, symbolized in white for purity. Multiple scenes, she wears white because she's the pure one. You know, the white queen and the black king, because uh, the father always wears black. But she's telling him about his heritage in this scene. And she's telling him about this dragon, this red dragon that she's handed him. Looks like origami, maybe. And she says to him, when you have the heart of our dragon, you can do some pretty amazing things. And so I wanted to bring forward the possibility that there are aspects of the symbolism in this movie encoding the idea of possessing entities as bestowed upon secret society members through different rituals and thought form egregores that are created or summoned in particular specific ceremonial fashion. Yeah. And getting back to the idea of the dragon bloodline too. I mean, she's telling him that his heritage is basically like, you know, inheriting the ancestral powers of the dragon bloodline. And that symbolism is replete throughout the, you know, the, the opiolatry cult. Nice. Big time, big time. So that's yep. just something to put forward. He's wearing green, which represents the heart and courage. Uh, and she's wearing white, representing purity. And there's a couple of other parts that maybe we'll just touch on them when we get there. Because mm-hmm. I can't, I remember a few, but I don't know if I remember all the examples. I, I noticed that maybe suggesting this possession concept, but I, I have a couple in mind and maybe I'll, I'll hit on them as we get to that point in the plot. But I just wanted to back it up to this flashback and then put that forward and yeah. see what you guys think about it before we move into some more of the, the next things in the plot. Okay, so something that I see is really super significant, just that image right there that you had where he's got a paper dragon, the red paper dragon that his mother is intimate and genuine from his mother. Paper, yeah, and he gets a postcard with his sister's address on it with the dragon on it, also paper. You got it, man, and here it is. In this, you got you got to be real savvy on some of that Crow 777 work on uh, the birth certificate because it turns out they're the first birth certificate, the original, the local, the more local state birth certificate is lowercase print. That's the, that's the real deal. That's where you're, you have standing. You have, your feet are under you with the lowercase print. And then later on you, they go through this process and you get this, this, further out jurisdiction, this removed jurisdiction in the second uh, birth certificate is uppercase capitalized print. And that's the false. That's uh, that's the, where the fraud is, uh, is put in place. And so sure enough, he thinks he's getting a symbol from his sister when he gets that second postcard, 
But it turns out his dad did that and it was all a setup. And that's that federal jurisdiction coming in to take your feet out from under you. Now you got to go jump out the fucking window. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, that's very significant. And I think we also, you know, it's a red dragon. We got some placenta magic going on, but that's that's for another day. Um, I don't know if we want to go back to where they they first met, because this is before Shang-Chi is is born. We get that scene where um, his mother, he meets his mother in. Uh, what's, in the what's the city called now or uh, Talo? Talo. Thank you. Um, so he's hunting for the, the lost city, the city. And this, this comes up again and again also in um, uh, Black Panther and in, in this one of Talo of the whole cities, whole city states being in liminal space. Like they're, they're the hidden whole, whole civilizations. The private jurisdiction. Right. Like maybe yeah. an Atlantean. This is what she looks like when, uh, when Wu meets her. Right. She's like uh, one of the, she's like a forest creature. Like yeah, very yokai. That's yokai, a Japanese yeah. concept, though. And when we first meet, uh, I don't remember, what, what's the mother's name? I, I had it just a second ago. So we, we first meet his mother. She's the, the white. Uh, I think she, her name's just Lee. But she's the one you see first, like controlling the wind with her, her chi. Like she is, you see, and they show with the wind and the leaves of her energy field. It's it's a torsion, where they show her, her manipulating that with her, her chi, which yes. is being shown to us over and over again. Like really? I'm being reminded over and over again to focus on your chi because these mm-hmm. are these are just books that that uh my father-in-law left for my wife just this is probably maybe some of this stuff was before we had even met that he was he had been stockpiling all these mystic books and stuff that that knowing that they would come handy somehow. Yeah, man. And here they are. I've got, you know, they're, all these they were even... are, are related mystic books. I, and some of these I can't even, like, I don't even want to show some of them. But this, you know, Recovering Ancient Magic. Yeah. Um, and they were, in, they were kept in boxes for years, right? Yep. Just in like boxes, in the movie. We didn't, we didn't know what, right? This is crazy. Yeah. Speaking of of Orgon, Wilhelm Reich, yeah, the mystics of the old Kahuna, the mystics of old Hawaii. You know, this is like we're being reminded over and over again that this stuff is real. And yeah, so when she has, and in this fight, they show her taking control of the the uh, rings. He uses the rings against her. They're and they're blue. She is able to change the rings and control them, and they're turned into gold. 
right? When she's and when he like, encounters her in the green forest, she's wearing green. Yes. This is very much a liminal space, too, because the heart chakra being green, it is the line between the upper and lower, the masculine and feminine, the chalice and the blade, the blue and the gold. Right above yes. the heart chakra is the blue. Right below the heart chakra is the gold. The gold, right. So he meets her wearing white because by discovering or accessing the heart, as in they fall in love and all that, he is purified temporarily until her death by this. And he is shown in white while they are a couple before her death uh, many right. times. So this is like his moment of oscillating towards the light side temporarily because he found and became centered in the heart, which is why this all happens in the green, the forest between dimensions, liminal space, the heart itself, liminal space. Yep. This is where he can make the transfer between the light and the dark before yes. he, you know, goes back over. Yes. This is, it's also the, uh, the clean hands doctrine of the maxims of equity. In order to enter into equity, one must have clean hands. In order to go into your dojo, you must white wear the white gi. And it's very interesting, just like you said, he's going into her temple. So he has to uh, practice that spiritual uh, cleanliness. And when she leaves, she has to wear white as she's coming into his realm. That is, that's very powerful symbolism. I love it. Very good. And I wish we could show actual clips because that this is part of the, the neat aspect of the film, this particular scene and uh, a few others like it, where you really get the sense of the fluidity and the flow, the Tai Chi like aspect of uh, the choreography of these fights where almost like, you know, your, your game, Gabriel, this fight becomes a dance as much as it is a competition, mm -hmm. which is, uh, is pretty cool actually. And they, they, they lean hard into that, that dance thing with, they almost go into a tango together. Like, cause they, there's those slow mo slow motion shots where they're looking into each other's eyes as they pass each other nice and slow. And like, they, they're really leaning into that. This is a, this is a dance between good and evil kind of thing. Right. Like, it's, and they mirror that effect at the point where Shang-Chi finds his true self within and is able to overcome his father in combat. They actually mirror and imitate the movements of this fight between his mother and father, which, of course, he wasn't present for because he wasn't born yet. But it, I think, is demonstrating that the real hero, basically, isn't fighting to crush their opponent or to, uh, you know, they, they aren't working strictly from a mind angle. Like if that makes sense, it is very much about the flow of being in alignment with life force energy and nature and knowing your heart being in this green zone that allows you to, you know, win basically because you become you become one with life force energy and spirit. So you become aligned with that, which is eternal and unconquerable in the first place. And that's why when he, he wins the fight at the near the end with his father, I think we see a very similar dance aspect because he's in flow. He's no longer confused. He's no longer trying to force things. He's no longer letting his doubts and his fears and his mind 
just dictate the decisions he makes. And when he gets into other fights, he's got a lot of flow to it as well. <laughs> but in particular, where it becomes more of a dance is like the the part where he's able to really manipulate the chi, and he's doing like air bending, basically. Pretty yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that's kind of interesting because we're entering into the air age with Aquarius, and there uh, ultimately it is the air element that uh, comes to uh, to. I don't know, uh, win the day in the ultimately in the film. So, yeah, it's very appropriate. And back into the color symbolism a little bit. That's always relevant mm-hmm. when he's being trained to be an assassin by his father. He's portrayed in black when he has. I'll have to scrub off of the screen share. But when he has this moment of triumph. And like his training is complete, and he's become inconquerable. It's the only scene that he's shown in yellow, gold. So his will and his dominance is asserted. You know, his uh, his strength in that solar plexus aspect is he's activated. He's fully reached the the top of the physical chakras at that point. Hasn't made it to heart, but he's got, you know, an indomitable will now. And he fights like 50 ninjas <laughs> as a 14-year-old. <laughs> as you do yeah Sean probably me. has a story like that <laughs> who does um, SB Alger <laughs> oh yeah I'm sure he's got stories for everything <laughs> oh yeah that reminds me of this time I was in, in India one time there these 15 monkeys with swords God damn me that's <laughs> <laughs> surprising a bit um, uh, I was trying to go through my notes and see if I were getting ahead or getting behind i i one of the things that like um i noticed when she's talking to uh the sister when katie and shai ling are talking in the background of um i just remembered this in the background of the of uh Zyling's office right they show yeah. them in the they're talking. She's she's telling her her story. God, these fucking glasses drive me crazy when I'm looking at myself on here. Um, <laughs> uh, when the, the tile or the the little designs on her wall in her office uh-huh. are torsions. They're, it's a torsion. It's like two different rings um, mm. together, almost like uh, Gabriel's uh, Pisces thing with the. Uh, with the circles. Nice. Um, it's a very much that whole, like I see torsions throughout this whole thing. Um, yeah. One of the other things is when they're, they're first meeting the, the father, right. And they're at that dinner mm-hmm. and he asks her, her name. And she's like, Oh, it's Katie. And he's like, no, what's your real name? Names right. are sacred. And he's makes a point, you know, names are sacred. They mean things. Yes. You should you should get to know yours. Yeah. Uh, it's very important. Very important. Yeah. You know, uh one other thought was um I wanted to say before we get too close too far far away from the beginning of the movie, in the scene the fight scene on the bus, where we realize that he's actually got kung fu skills, because his friend Katie originally she like 
saved him from getting in a fight by jumping in and singing Hotel California to like embarrass the bad guys. That's a song about fucking demonic possession if there ever was one. Right. right. <laughs> and, yes. And they, they work as valet drivers at a hotel in California. It's, oh, that's a good point. It's incredibly meta. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't think of that. That's great. Yeah. So in the in the moment uh, that the fight scene commences and he starts whooping people's ass, she is uh, shocked. She's in shock. And what she says is, holy shit. And she's like, just awestruck. But she's like, I didn't need to save this guy at all. He let me save him. Right. And this comes up later. She only says the words, holy shit, at one other part in the movie. And it's incredibly transcendent. The next time she says, holy shit, is, is a beautiful thing. And this is why I love fucking Kung Fu movies, because they can work some high grade alchemy. And if you know what you're looking at, like the goosebumps stick with you for days. Uh, But right there, she says, holy shit. And she says that line towards the end and we'll get there. I'll save it for later. Uh, But it's very it's very amazing. And also, while we're in this part of the movie uh, as well, they are joined by at the hip at the beginning of the film where they're, uh, she's driving in the, when she takes the car on a joyride and she's speeding around town. And then they're in the bus and they're together inside another vehicle and she ends up doing the driving. This is the twins. They are representing the twins, Gemini, in the beginning. And they're always inside. The next sign is cancer. They're inside of a chariot, a vehicle, a vessel. They're sharing a vessel. Right. And she's always doing the driving and he's always doing the emotional work. So it's kind of like she's the physical self and he's kind of like that emotional self. Um, they're, they're kind of switching roles gender wise, you know, by standard uh, psychological constructs. You could say that. Yeah, she doesn't. She's not super emotionally expressive in the film, only. Right. In the incredulity about who he is. But the rest of the film, she's like really even keel. And he's the one that's having ups and downs. Yeah. And so the bus fight scene, they are moving from Gemini into cancer. And in the bus fight scene, uh, Razor Arm comes out and he slices the bus in half. Yeah. Razor Fist. The guy's name is Razor Razor Fist. Razor Fist. (laughs) Yes. And so that is that's cancer. That's the cutting. That's the separation. And they're breaking out of that vessel. They're, uh, the chariot is 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 cut in half, and uh, then they from there they move forward through the zodiac uh, very slowly. But I just find it very interesting that we have a lot of tarot correspondence going on right there in that beginning, uh, as he pops up right in the sign of Cancer as they're riding on the chariot. And, and the hero at that point too, in uh-huh. that Cancer moment, he's. You know, there's a there's a lot of, to me, clear allegory of him being the son of the sun. Yes. That his mother and father represent the summer sun and the winter sun. Right. Like the Kronos and Rhea, (laughs) God and goddess of fortresses. They both have fortresses that they're from or they operate from, you know, his his base of operations for the Ten Rings and her village of Talo. So he's yep. the son of the sun, the S-U-N-S-O-N, the sun god, basically. 
He's the hero messiah character. And in this Cancerian themed scene in the chariot, he's like really expressing the height of his powers. You know, there are other scenes where a lot of the fight scenes following this, he stumbles, he fails, he does not, he, you know, going further through the Zodiac post-cancer, you're no longer the summer sun. You know, you're no longer, the sun's no longer at the height of its strength. Yep. So this is, a, I think, an apt metaphor because at this in this fight scene, he's flawless. He's absolutely flawless. Except he gets separated from his birthright. Oh, Yeah. Well, that could be like the the fall, you know, at the end. Right. He loses that birthright. He loses the pendant. And I see that very much symbolic of the placenta. But that pendant is green. Oh, man. Leo, heart, core. Yeah. Slick, have you have you watched the last middle path with Lindsay and Phoenix Aurelia? You could say actually this scene is him Uh and Leo, actually, because he's so fierce and ferocious. And it's all about that green pendant. Nice. And following that is, uh, you know, I wonder how we would move into the the Virgo because the next scene is him meeting his sister. Yes. Yeah. Was the Virgo character. Yeah. And she's she's like, you know, she's running a business <laughs> that's very Virgo. Right. Honestly. Oh, right. Um, and she doesn't speak. She like she hasn't spoke up until the uh, end of the fight scene. Hold that thought. We'll yeah, let's yeah. talk about that. But let Gordy get in real quick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was just gonna gonna mention to to both of you guys if you haven't cut the the last uh, uh, middle path with Lindsay Sharman uh, interviewing Phoenix Aurelius. Yeah. Um, all the stuff that we've been talking about with the placenta and eating placenta and craziness, mm-hmm. guys, get get on that and check it I out. I want it. I already wrote it down. In- just for just for anybody who's listening, we're not talking about dehydrate it and put it into capsule pills. We're talking about eat that shit. <laughs> Do not send yeah. it off to some factory so they can take out the spirit of it. Just and being very careful about the yeah. intention of this. Kind right, of stuff. right. Okay, Get, okay. Back anyway, on track. So going back. <laughs> Sorry, um, but this, yeah. Before we go. Um, too far that I guess should we move on with the after the uh, he's kind of realized and admitted who he is oh wait one quick well, let's, I, there's a, a really important point in this fight scene yeah that yeah. I wanted to that I, I definitely noticed <laughs> so when he goes to the illegal underground murder yes. pit okay thank in, you they're in, <laughs> they're in Thailand right or Taiwan sorry it's in Taiwan I believe hmm. Okay. Is where this takes place. Uh, it's like the Las Vegas of Taiwan. Can't remember the name of the city, but they do say it. So he gets to he gets contracted unwittingly to fight yeah, in this right. giant battle, and uh, ends up his opponent is his sister who owns the whole thing, and she seems to have arranged it so that she could kick his ass. <laughs> and <laughs> Gabriel, you made a really good point. She doesn't speak in this fight at all until a certain point but before she speaks let me pull up the other screenshot here mm-hmm. before she speaks there's a particular initiatory ritual that has to happen <laughs> she kicks him in the nuts hard i want this one's all you dude you take it away on this one <laughs> <laughs> 
So, okay. So theoretically, let's just, let's say that the, the, when they were on the fight, the fight scene on the bus, that was cancer. That has to do with render unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? He's had the, his placenta, his birthright. He's come out of the vessel. It's been removed from him. And now look, he's naked and exposed to the world. Okay. So, and one other quick yeah, point. Yeah, they make him take his shirt off. He didn't really want to. Yep, he's a little uncomfortable about that, and he's getting mocked by his, his buddy. And I just, one more quick note. I know we go back and forth a lot here, but when the we bus. Have to. Yeah, when the bus gets stopped at the bottom of the hill in, in San Francisco, at the end of that fight scene and all the adrenaline dump is over and you can, like, finally take a breath, they show ever so quickly, they show a flash to a CVS sign. On the other side of the street, at that moment of relief, when you're like, oh, everything's okay, you get a flash in the corner of your eye. CVS, go get your medicine. Make sure everything's okay. I've got to find that moment, so I'm going to look for it. Okay, yeah. It's it's incredibly quick. It's just a second long, but it's the camera is behind the bus and the trunk, dump truck. And here we have the placenta is being thrown into the trash. It's discarded. And the uh, and the medical component, you throw the medical component mm-hmm. on there, and everybody's breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, it's really in- interesting. You're also at the bottom of a hill, which is uh, coming out of cancer. Is that descent? Your big is the initiation into the descent. And so uh, then we roll into him being naked in the next scene, and uh, fighting against Virgo, his sister, who will not, who has not spoken. She's abstinent there it is cvs you see it yeah and uh sesta kv (laughs) cvs nice nice there's a couple other see like parts of the scene where you can kind of see it in the background so this might not be the best screenshot of it but you make a really strong point right there yeah man so the medicine the medical industrial complex is going to save your ass is what they're you know is what they're telling you. It, it also has the placenta going in the trash and going on to the medical. And then look in the, on the horizon. What do you have? You have ships. You have Alcatraz. That's the prison. Oh, that ships, is the, it's the ships for the, your citizenship. And now you're in Alcatraz. There's your prison. There's so much in this one little image. And guess what's in, on the audio? It's a foghorn. <laughs> And and seagulls, language of the birds. Damn, dude! Yeah. This is why we. This is why you're on the team. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and at the end of this, she she says to the guy in the sanitation truck, who I I mean I don't know if any of you guys' uh, sanitary garbage trucks look like this, but ours don't. Uh, they don't look like this color green. This is the color of scrubs. And it says sanitation, oh. keeping our city clean. And nice. It's a hexagonal or he- a hexagonal and, type of logo to it as well. Right, exactly. And she says that to the other driver at the end of this, because she ends up the her bus on top of the, the garbage truck, she says, yep. We make a good team. That's a trip and a half, man. That's a trip and a half. Yeah, it's so amazing how much information can be fit into just a couple seconds, just a couple seconds. It's it's well, absolutely it, nuts. Does it blow you away? Like, yeah, like yeah, so they can't. 
this, this much detail, are they really paying that much detail to this or are they just letting this flow showing us all this stuff and or is it just us that's seeing it who knows i think all three of those things are true i think it's all three yeah i gotta say i did not Mm -hmm. i had not thought about the alcatraz until chance pulled it up i had thought about the ship i thought about the cvs and the dump truck and the placenta but just now is when i saw alcatraz you know i remember seeing um i'm so glad this came up because on that that scene in the original Hulk, they show him um, tearing up San Francisco also. And he's on that in that same famous road. That's all twisty and turvy. You can see him, you know, hulking out and they show Alcatraz in the background. I remember making note of that. And now I'm going to have to go back to the original Hulk. Yep. And one more quick point. Uh, I'm so glad we're like getting in the details here. So, Sanitation, the goddess of sanitation is Panacea. <laughs> Panacea is the goddess of sanitation. And we've already gone over this chance. You you know, that's like a, uh, that's the tarot card number 14 that uh, corresponds with temperance. Uh, also Hygieia. Yes. And temperance is your uh, 14 is your 14th Amendment citizenship. Gave you that citizenship. After after uh, civil war, after all that battle, they get you. you we're supposed to f- feel like you got uh, a bargain, <laughs> like everything's going to be okay. We've got citizenship. Just everybody remain calm. Temperance. It's a trip and a half, man. Okay, so I'm so glad we went back to that chance. Thanks for pulling up that. <laughs> yeah, movie. cool. That yeah, man, cool. I didn't. I yeah. I missed all of that CVS and ships in the background. So and and the color of scrubs. Here's another thing that thank yeah, you, yeah, dude. Dylan, um, Lee, if our our buddy Lee, who we probably should uh, bring into the chat at some time, because this mm-hmm. this cat lives in D.C. Um, our friend Lee and Dylan, Dylan uh, okay, films. Mm-hmm. If you're not watching his Instagram, also he does some stuff in. He lives in D.C., and if we need to see something, that dude will get on it. He pointed out that this place is in uh, Macau, and this is what what triggered it with me. Macau is... Macau. So this is a city in China, right? But it's run by the Portuguese state. It's a sovereign state. It used to be a Portuguese, kind of like... Kind of like Hong Kong was with the British, but, but it was like, cause Hong Kong's like one of those liminal space things, right? Like DC yeah. is a liminal space. Macau yes. is a liminal state, like a sovereign state within nice. the country. And it's one of those little harbor cities too, like kind of where the laws are sketchy. It's hard to make out in the, the focus level of this, but his address. Is 1045 Euclid, Euclid Avenue. (laughs) That's an interesting one. I don't know what to make of that. But the address in Macau is 1888 Whoa. I cannot read the actual name of the address. Um, Hard to tell. One point is one plus four plus five equals 10. So there's your 10 rings. Yeah, and, there's another 10. Yeah. Macau, eight, eight, eight. 
That Macau is going to be, uh, it's going to occur to me like way after the show, I'll like put it in the, in the comments tomorrow, but that's a, that, that is, that's got a Portuguese meaning. Like a uh, monkey is a macaco is monkey. Macau. Oh, it's, isn't it a bird? It's a macaw. The macaw. macaw. I think parrot. we might have more language of the birds going on there with the macaw. Oh. They have oh. ear shadowing screams. A macaw can just pierce your eardrum if you're too close. It's like, uh, kind of like the siren call, you know, it can make you insane. It's just agonizing to hear. Okay. So I just Whew. did a quick Google search. Why is it called macaw? Yeah. Macau. Yeah. And the Google says the name Macau is derived from the Chinese Ama Gao or Bay of Ama or Ama, the patron goddess of sailors. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Huh. Hmm. So, yeah, there's Ma. Ma's coming into the picture. Okay. It's almost like the California Sea, the, the ocean. The, the Bay of California, maybe. So, uh, so, so after the baby is born, coming out of the placenta, you've thrown the placenta in the trash. You've trashed the vessels. All those cars are smashed. We've got the dump truck and the CVS and the fucking Alcatraz. Man, that is that is so golden. So now he's naked, and he's in the arena. He's in the public. He's he's. Uh, Got his 14th Amendment citizenship. He's nice and vulnerable and ready to go and be tested yeah, by the masses, by the psychotic masses uh, who are wearing masks, by the way, which person means mask in Etruscan. Uh, next comes the, uh, the, the castration ritual, <laughs> the circumcision. And that's what is the, the next step in his, uh, his struggles through this through the battle, the, you know, the fight for his life. And it's uh, his sister, somebody he loved, a loved one, is giving him that that cheap shot. Uh, and won't speak to him until after it's been done. The deed has to be done first before he can receive the next level of family secrets. You know, yeah. he's got to trade his family jewels for the family, <laughs> the family info. Yes. Yeah. And it is about family jewels in this moment because he's lost his jewel, his jewel and she's got the other jewel and she's in danger of losing it. Yeah. And that's a, that's kind of a running theme. I've got quite a few friends who like have these, uh, we'll just say conniving sisters who fuck with the inheritance. That mm. seems to be, uh, I, I hear about that a lot. Uh, just saying it's kind of crazy that there seems to be some kind of theme with that in life in general. Uh, Cause he's the eldest. That he gets, he should get the inheritance. Uh, biblically, biblical law around inheritance, the eldest gets a double portion, uh, and then the rest is divided amongst the uh, the youngers. Uh, but so there's a bit of an inversion going on here. So shame. the reason why she's so pissed at him to go back is that when he was young, when he was a 14 year old, and she was younger still, he had been trained as an assassin and. He was sent on his first mission, and he did not return. Uh, he told her he'd be back in three days. Son of the sun, mm -hmm. gone for three days, right? But he does not resurrect into her life. He does. He goes and runs away. 
and uh, doesn't show up again for until this point. So she's feeling all the trauma of that, having been abandoned by the only person that was caring in her life. And he's trying to reason with her until he tells her the father is coming for her amulet that you see right here. And she cheap shots him again. She kicks him in the face and KOs him in one shot. So that moves us forward to the point where they're up in her office after that. And the father does indeed show up with this whole army. And we already discussed what follows that. You know, we are jumping around a little bit, but Mm -hmm. that was the point where they are attempting to escape. She takes the escape. She has a panic room, basically. She has an escape elevator that, you know, the doors are a hidden secret passage and they leave, he leaves or she leaves them behind and she does heroically come back though. She just wanted him to feel what it was like to be abandoned. She does come back. She saves the life of Katie who almost dies from a fall Mm -hmm. off of the bamboo scaffolding. And there's a big fight scene with a lot of, a lot of goons and they change. She fights the main ninja. I should find it's death dealer. Oh, that's his. Is he like a character from the comics? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, uh, I'm find a screen screen grab of that character because we are talking about the mask a lot, and his mask is one of the more prominent ones in the film. So you find a good. Oh, and you know, in that scene where he's fighting the Death Dealer, in the background, there's like a, a big banner from uh, from across the city. It's a large screen is flashing a cartoon images of a dog, which is interesting to me because it uh, kind of indicates the uh, the hunter uh, indicates that, you know, the hunt is on, so to say. But it's also infantil infantilized. It's a, you know, a cartoon for kids while he's fighting for his life. There's like this. Yeah, there's this juvenile imagery of a of a dog in the background in this death dealer that he's fighting. That's his father's uh, dog of war, the hunting dog that is sent out to do the, you know, to scout ahead and do the dirty work. Also, he was the one that dogged Shang-Chi for his whole training and childhood. He was the one that would, you know, beat him into shape and did the harsh training for him to become so like unkillable right so the imagery in the background is definitely kind of hailing to uh early childhood trauma essentially he didn't have he didn't have cute dogs and cartoons in his life he had to fight the fucking death dealer right yep and he still Mm -hmm. can't he couldn't do he couldn't finish the job back then and when he gets the better of the death dealer he's unable to uh see the see the job through he tries to but the father actually stops him stays his hand right and he and then the father admits that he told he didn't give any orders about holding back to his men they get captured by his father at this point because he's got the tin rings and he's powerful Mm -hmm. uh and his father says i told my men they would not be able to kill you even if they tried so it implies that he gave them free reign to get the pendants by any means necessary up to and including killing the, the uh, his children, but he just didn't expect that they would be able to do that. So maybe that's part of why he was okay with not specifying the orders. I don't know, but 
mm-hmm. there was definitely attempted murder on both of them many times. They were the the bad guys weren't really holding back, right? And one thing that's interesting is he used, it's a curry knife. The the knife that he is hesitating that he's holding in his hand in that moment is a curry knife. It's a throwing dagger. Uh, it can also be attached to a chain whip. But um, that's exactly the same weapon that his dad handed him 10 years before when he sent him out on an assassination mission that he could not complete. It's, uh, this is, the, the weapon is identical. It's uh, the same, yep, it's the same trigger uh, item, so to say. Yeah, it's very important to like uh, MK Ultra conditioning, which is a lot like what he went through. Yep. He went through a lot of trauma based conditioning. You got it. And you notice he's still in the green. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, he's got a green underneath, but this jacket is kind of the color grading, but this jacket is really blue and yellowish. But the undershirt might might be green. I guess, and he's about to be taken into the underworld. He's about to go into the darkness as his father takes him into the the castle of doom, <laughs> so to say. The fortress of solitude, kind of. That's it, the, yeah. The Batcave, I guess. <laughs> well, this is another point about, like, to go all the way back to the idea of the chess metaphor. Yeah. In Chinese chess... There's a, let me pull this up, the picture of the chessboard again. Inner sanctum. That was the word I was looking for. Ooh, nice. In the Chinese chess game, you see this quad, like a square right here. The emperor, which is like equivalent to the king, cannot leave this zone. And so that's uh, very similar to the way that the, the red team, they can't leave their village. And although, you know, the Wu character does leave his fortress, there's a very strong fortress concept going on, mm-hmm. and which is why I give them like the Kronos Rhea association, God and goddesses of God and goddess of fortresses, which is also it's a cube. It's a square. Yeah. So they get to his fortress. Yeah, uh, man, we have a long, a lot of movie left to go through. Dude, we got, we're almost at two, 15 minutes. We got two hours in there. We barely even <laughs> gotten to the, we're not even close to the half of the movie. <laughs> we'll see. Crazy. We'll see what happens. You guys want to keep going? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going. Um, Push through. But yeah, okay. these guys are lined up like chess pieces. They even look like bishops. And they're, I mean, they're, I mean, their pawns is also part of, you know, in standard chess. So we're looking at the Chinese board. He's, he's one of the red looking at the, the black pieces. Is that what we're thinking? I see Jenny B just entered the chat. She's the one that pointed out that chess in Chinese sounds like Shang-Chi. So great time to pop in. This is exactly what we're on right now. Hey, before we leave the scene. Thank you for that also. I want to point out that Lee in the in the um, chat again said pointed out that the Portuguese were the greatest sailors of all time. So maybe that's a the Macau thing is um, yes part of a, you know maritime law kind of thing. Nice and also Portuguese. Their language is uh, it's it's incredibly important. I think I think of it as a, a 
an amalgamation of a lot of lost tongues, a lot of lost arts hailed back because they were because they could transport culture. They were, you know, uh, the bridge. They were bridging cultural gaps. And the word geese is one of the lost languages. Geese is where Greenspeak hails back to. It's a, a very important uh, lost language. So, yeah, Portuguese is fascinating, fascinating history. Uh, okay, here, I'll put this forward to really consummate that. A lot of people are surprised to find out that uh, Brazilian Portuguese has uh, Japanese words in their language. And one great example of this is obligato. Obligato means thank you. Obligato uh, means obliged, uh, obligation, you know. In in Japanese, the word, the same word, thank you, is uh, arigato. So arigato is a Portuguese word. And that's absolutely oh. fascinating because Japanese was supposed to be a closed off, uh, hermetically sealed uh, kingdom. Uh, that's a topic in and of itself. It is. But I think Japan may have got the same treatment that United States got in terms of uh, false history and an actual more ancient and uniform civilization. Like, you know, they've got all the same crazy Greco-Roman architecture that just like, I guess, popped up out of nowhere at the exact time <laughs> that they opened their borders. But there's so right. much to dispute about that. That's a huge tangent. Huge tangent. Snake Jones, welcome. We still got a, at least another hour. <laughs> I would be surprised. It might be a long one. Uh, I'm down. We're doing our best. So here's another screenshot that I thought was important. Another background symbolism that uh, I want to kick it over to you to, you know, initiate us through the symbolism here. But this is where you see the they've been captured and taken to the place where. Uh, their father's fortresses, right? And mm -hmm. you actually see what is on this poster at the very end of the film. So I might try to scrub to that because she takes down some of the posters. You can see what this is, but this is her bedroom. His sister, uh, Jialing, I think is her name. If I'm getting that wrong, yeah, super Jialing. sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is the scene that what they're talking about. When, just opposite of this, when she looks to him or to her when she's talking. That those torsions are. You can see this this poster that's in the center here, just to the left. It's the same thing. It's a, a skull with the crown. It's on the. It's doubled. It's it shows you what it is. Yep, it's in there three times. Triple it's crown. Triple it's crown. It, oh, it is in there three times. You are correct, sir. Yep. In this, and a lot of skulls game. again. Skulls associated with the same character, Jialing. There's and a skull. The Vitruvian There's man a skull. In the, Center yeah. at the bottom that is a skeleton of the Vitruvian yep. man. So here we have La Santa Muerta. Oh, yeah. La Santa Muerta. I'm There's seeing the typical pirate uh, skull and crossbones right there in the top right. Yep, yeah, the man. pirates, ones with fire. This looks like a, a scythe wielding angel of death as well. Yep. Total piracy going on. Yeah. And here's the here's the ring of the vessel or the angelic sailors abducting with a pyramid shaped tractor beam. I assume that that's what we're looking at here. Mm hmm. Yeah, man, pirates. 
So you know what I, you know what I just realized? From this, there's also like uh, three three uh, hearts card. It's 16 right there in the uh-huh. middle. Kind of makes it, me, the three hearts there kind of makes me think of the three of swords, which has a big red heart on it in the right way. And nice. often represents a hardship or heartbreak. Oh, interesting. You oh, know, here it, it is right here. Nice. And the lamp is a toroid. It's like one big yeah. toroid. Yeah, what did I, how did I miss that? Yeah, yeah. It looks like a, like a Tesla coil. Great call. You know, something just occurred to me. So if the mother's name was Zhang Li and the daughter's name was Jia Ling, then they just transferred the NG from the first name to the last. And that's kind of beautiful. I wonder if that's a if that's a tradition. If there's some you know cultural nuance that we're missing because we're gringos. <laughs> I think they when they announce who they are, they say their surname before the their given name. Okay. Yeah, that's, I, I think that might be the way it goes. Yeah, it's just interesting. They're so similar. Nice. Yeah, man. Okay, now where to go from here? I didn't exactly well, we, have the next thing queued. Let me see what else we, we got. You guys go for it. Well, we can. There's that actor. They find the the Joker, the the, oh, yeah. the comedic relief hanging down in the dungeon. And there is a is, scene where they have like dinner with the father, and oh, he explains yeah. this is important because he explains that. He's uh, going to go back to their, he's going to find their mother's village that he has a way to get there. And he shows them the map, which is made of water, actually. Right. So I think you have maybe in the telegram, I'm going to scroll up and look for it. Some uh, stuff to say about that, that part. Yeah. Yeah. This the, is the, like- uh, the two amulets end up being the eyes of a dragon. Yeah. That unlocks the magical map to. Which is never really explained how that even works <laughs> or how they have magic outside of the, the village, but it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Almost to it. All right. Yeah. Here's your, I found your thing on it. So I'm going to save it and bring it up big. Yeah. And that's the part where dad, you know, at dinner, at dinner dad is like, you know, talking about history and the he reveals uh, his true name his true name, and he points out that they gave him a name, they dressed him up, they addressed him in a false name and tried to frame him for all kinds of gnarly history. So they find out that Dad is getting voice to scroll messages. And they're like, Dad, that's not Mom. And he's like, uh, then he gets, you know, he takes the other pendant and he shows them uh, his master plan. You know, this is the the diabolical monologue where he's telling them, uh, showing his true colors. And then, yeah, like you said, he uh, takes the pendant and he puts it on that dragon's face, the stone dragon, and all of a sudden water pours out of the walls and they are shown a a water map, uh, which is um, really significant because it makes me think about the fact that the Ten Rings refers back to that lunar standstill calendar and the ten cycles of that spiral and how uh, water and the moon are so closely associated. The moon card is in the sign of Pisces. And so, yeah, yeah. 
And so this uh, water is going to give them, show them the route to the hidden, what, Tao Lo? Is that the name of the hidden kingdom? Yes. Yes. And so, uh, and also, you know, in the background there, you have the two dragons, or the two lions guarding the gates, the gatos at the gates. And the, Gatos uh, at the gates. Yeah. And also, just a quick other point, we have four pillars. Those could be considered the four seasons of the of the zodiac, and the map is about to course its way through the uh, essentially through the sky clock. But another thing that has come up on my radar recently is the Kyborium, or the Cyborium, C I B O R I U M, and the Cyborium is a sacred location. Uh, that is covered by an awning, a decorative awning, and supported by four pillars. And that's generally considered a uh, Catholic uh, symbol. It's a Greek word uh, that you'll see oftentimes in Catholic churches. But here we are, we're in uh, China, and we're looking at a kyborium, four pillars covering a sacred location that is very ornately decorated and the you know the secrets of the universe are about to unfurl uh, under this kyborium, a uh, Chinese kyborium, you could say. Uh, so there was a lot going on here, but uh, that image I shared in the Telegram, the dialogue is it talks about the the uh, the passage will be revealed, and I just noticed that passage has the a g. Pass age, uh, and age is a symbol for silver as well. So it's just amazing how many Piscean water signs are being hailed in this one scene. Uh, hmm. When they find out the route in in the ten rings of the lunar standstill, you're tracking the course, you're learning the path, you're key, you're tracking uh, the the route of the moon. So. No. Okay. The way they find it is by being introduced to the Hunden, the, right. the uh, little faceless, winged, uh, furry caterpillar thing. The chicken pig? Chicken pig, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Headless chicken pig. I don't, I don't know what to call it other than it's a real... It's a winged, headless chicken pig. <laughs> <laughs> Right, as you do, you know. Well, okay, so when they meet this guy, I'm going to try to, like, referee this to move it a little forward. <laughs> nice, nice. It has a real mythological correspondence, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dijang, Jiang. So, yeah, okay, Dijang, the, uh, they meet yeah. this, they get thrown in the dungeon. They meet this guy who's also held captive there. It's a callback character from, I think, Iron Man 3. And right. he's quoting Macbeth. Yes. All about that skull symbolism showing oh, up again. Oh, good call, Chance. So I have the There's poem. A skull in the scene on his, uh, yeah. his vanity desk there. So the, and see, the look, theme. he's holding, holding his head, holding the skull. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's lost his mind, clearly, as well. Right. You know, this, I love this scene, dude, because this... Uh, so his name is Trevor Slattery. He's the fake 
Mandarin. We know this from the other uh, Iron Man movies and stuff. Right. So he's the face of the public facing media face, the the, um, the scapegoat yeah. for the media in the Iron Man movies for the Mandarin. So this right. guy has been been pushed out to the public conscious as this is the Mandarin. And he tells you right here yeah. that he was he was hired by the BBC. He answered an ad that he was going to work for the BBC to do this. Two, two, three. BBC. One of the biggest media conglomerates in the world. Yep. To be a literal false flag that the news media sought him out, not the other way around. Right. Did you catch that? Oh, yeah. They created him. Right. Now, what we need to take from that is that shit's going on in the background while we're being told this thing. Don't look at the, don't look at the hand pointing at the moon. Look at the moon. Don't look at the hand pointing at the moon. You'll list all the heavenly glory. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a crisis actor for sure. Yeah, right, he's a crisis actor. Exactly. A Which they even crisis. you know, um, Fresh Prince of Smell Hair. His administration's even like now accusing, uh-huh. uh huh, the other side of using crisis actors. So admitting that that's even a thing. But they won't call it. A, they won't call it what it is. They won't use the term crisis actor. They're dancing around that term. But they're talking about it. Yeah, but they won't use the like incredibly efficient word that it is it's a fucking crisis actor in that they're like it's a they're immune or i'm sorry they're allergic to the truth they can't use the word that would reveal what it actually it is they use all this uh dance around so do you guys want to hear the uh the quick little uh the snippet that he's quoting from Macbeth? yes please yeah yeah so this is an initiation when they walk in on him in this in this location and they are reflected in the mirror they are there is an initiation going on there's a skull on the table there's the mirror and he turns around and he starts quoting uh knock 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 from macbeth the scene of the drunken porter it's uh, act 2 scene 3 and it goes here a knocking indeed. If a man were porter of Hellgate, he should have old turning the key. Knock, knocking within. Knock, knock. Who's there? I name of the Beelzebub. Here a farmer that hanged himself on the expectation of plenty. Come in time. Have napkins now about you. Here you'll sweat fort. Knocking within, knock, knock. Who's there? In the other devil's name, faith. Here's an equivocator that could swear in both the scales against the inner scale, the either scale, who committed treason enough for God's sake, yet could not equivocate to heaven. Oh, come in, equivocator. And then it goes on from there, but I find it just... There's so much going on in there, but the equivocator is really something. It's like um, to to say many things at the same time. You know, you see, uh, it sounds like you're hearing one thing, but there's many other things also being equally intended in the same words. Equivocator. 
Equivocator. Yeah. Uh, and that's what English, he's talking about English, I think. The English language, uh, you know, it has, it's duplicitous. It can be triplicitous. It has many. It's fucking, yeah, pentaplicitous, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So many layers of meaning to every damn word. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's just a snippet from that scene that they're uh, that they're quoting there. Awesome. We're we're not. Are we going to keep going, or are we gonna, we need to like make this two parts because like we haven't even got to. So his name is Morris. They've named named the little Hundun guy Morris for like the cat for some reason. I don't know. Um, oh, that might be a, a, a Morrison, Jim Morrison. You know that he he was an actor. Uh, Working for a military agenda, he was a front man for a military agenda, a CIA asset. <laughs> yeah, he was the son of Morris. Yeah, huh. that's an interesting just a Maybe. thought. So uh, we should, uh, I guess, from there they they uh, they have a big breakout and they steal like steal the cars. Yeah. Oh yeah, steal the cars. Yeah, I noticed that the car they stole is Razor Fist's car. So and- now. It's an electric BMW, by the way. Yeah, yeah, nice. That is a R, an X3. Ooh, there's the trickster, Tri-X. The trickster, Tri-X. The electricity aspect is important, too, that it's electric. Um, This will come up more in the fourth act, at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. But the, I guess they do show this earlier when they attack the fight club, the you know, goon squad that he's got, the trained thugs, they use electrified weapons. Oh. And this is very, in my opinion, allegorical to this idea of possession. Uh, So they're using, I think I have a, I think I really like wrote down my thoughts and (laughs) notated them here. So let me find what I said to myself. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So their use of the electrified weapons is a lot like, the artificial chi, if you will, dirty electricity, the gin, the cut off from source, self-contained but uh, isolated and compartmentalized version of energy that we use in most of our technology versus, you know, when they fight the other villagers, the, the real chess game, the black clad soldiers versus the red clad villagers, they're using weapons that even glow with chi and life force energy from their dragon heart mm-hmm. so it's very much like this the electrified weapons are against this living life force energy weaponry i think very important dichotomy of the artificial versus the natural and calls back to this idea that i alluded to that a lot of the themes in this movie are subtle uh in my opinion subtly suggesting entity attachment and influence mm-hmm. yeah man and also the electric like them having the electricity and being the bad guys kind of makes me think about the uh, global warming agenda also you know that now we have to redefine the wheel so uh to for the sake of advancement you know you know um 
the one of the things this image particularly struck me that uh, that they look like riot cops. They don't look m- so much as military as paramilitary. Yeah, more like more like riot gear. Nice. Um, when we see you know riot cops in the news, this is what we see. You know, there's a little more Asian influence, but these don't look like ninjas to me. These look like riot cops. And they and use you know the, obviously riot cops use like the cattle prod, the taser. Yeah. Electrified weaponry. And I mean, as far as a plot point goes, it's kind of a huge hole in my opinion that this dude, his army has non-lethal weaponry. Oh, right. You right. know, but it's a Kung Fu movie. So they got to come in with batons and, and electric crossbows and not machine guns, <laughs> but they could have just come in with machine guns and taken mowed everybody down. I would think. Good point. Yeah. Or some other type of, I mean, this is meant to look like advanced technology weaponry, but it doesn't, really seem lethal you know and they also they have that persian phrygian shaped cap it's almost a cross between phrygian mongolian dude it's got the horse hair which is a you know he's supposed to be like the mongolian khan he's like the genghis khan you got it yeah the uh, Wu character yeah i think in the ten rings uh insignia for as it was shown in iron man when they were in iraq Actually, the text in the Ten Rings was the Ten Mongolian Tribes' names. Okay. All right. They yeah. changed it in I think this. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, one point we kind of breezed through, but Chance, you probably wanted to talk about that water portal. When they, oh, yeah. That's important. When they cross over from escaping and they get away and they go driving off in the electric. Uh, razor hand BMW. <laughs> hey, a sacred spider in the chat wants to know if he, he can send you or she can send you an email, Gabriel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. I'll just I'll put it in the chat. Okay, there you go. Yep. I'll pull forward the Okay, so we'll. I think that we're more than halfway through because a lot of what we've talked about sets up groundwork for other symbolism we've already kind of fast forward in some places <laughs> but, um, one of the things I, I noticed when they first get into that realm they finally they finally find Paolo and um the the ben kingsley character is looking at the phoenixes and he's like oh more sense there that's just normal like there's just phoenixes everywhere like and the the weird horse, the mystical, all the mystical animals and things. And there's like dragons and, oh yeah, this is, this is normal. This is real. Like he acknowledges that this is the real, like you better get used to it. Cause, cause what you, un, your understanding of the world just changed a lot. Like you better get used to magic being a real thing, like real quick. Yeah. So I think we can, Go pretty quickly through talking about the scene of them finding the forest. They don't have the map, but their little furry Morris chicken pig creature uh, shows them the path through the woods. And so I think we haven't shown it on screen. looks like that. Mm-hmm. They're driving through the forest and the bamboo is rearranging itself rapidly trying to eat them. And she's driving again. Yep. She's the driver. Always. Shang Chi's put in the back seat. Mm-hmm. He's still in the underworld. He hasn't emerged into Aries yet. 
Uh, so they're driving through this forest, kind of like a labyrinth, if you will. Wonder what sign this puts them in if they're traversing the labyrinth. Where have we attained in the sky clock if we're keeping that metaphor going? We can be open to thinking about that. We don't necessarily have to carry that metaphor along. I didn't try to map it out myself. Yeah, I, I think they would be uh, transitioning f- uh, right through Sagittarius. They're they're about to uh, mm. cross into Capricorn. Finding their direction. Right. And they're going to go through the, when they, uh, it's Capricorn, a water element. Oh, and you know what? It's definitely no, Scorpio. Fire, no. Yeah. So, okay, just to back, sure. just to sure. back up, I yeah. think definitely when uh, their father is, has captured them. Yes. It's very much like the, the Libra after Virgo because, yeah. you know, he's passing judgment on them. Also, uh, there's a interesting balance in that he wears white and black, the father does. He's kind of at his best behavior temporarily. And then following that... No, that could be adjustment also. You know, he's adjusting their course. Mm -hmm. And then following that, they reveal this secret map, this water map. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. very Scorpio thematically. Lee points out. Put into the dungeon at that point. You know, they've been at their lowest point. They're captured. Betrayed. Betrayed. Very Scorpio. And then, yeah, next would be they're going on this uh, direct. They're finding their direction with Sagittarius. They're finding the direct path through the forest. So it's also the the labyrinth too. It shows you the the, the whole bamboo thing is is the labyrinth, which Lee points out as Taurus, and that that um, you know ties to the Minotaur. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, there isn't a Minotaur in this, but there is a labyrinth. So yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean. Yeah. Which and a lot of these movies that do encode symbolism, not necessarily encoding on purpose, but things that you can correlate back to astro- astrology, don't necessarily take you through that journey in order. That's common, too, mm-hmm. for a lot of movies. So, yeah, here's the labyrinth from above. Right. Can't really play it, but these pathways open and close. So, important part that comes next is... I think I'm going to ditch trying to metaphorize it all to the sky clock just for the sake of time. Well, they're, um, they're going to cross the winter solstice and that's, and that's the gate they're going to go through now. Very good. So it's an important part. Here's a screenshot of that. And it's, they're coming through a, uh, a water portal. That's the liminal space between dimensions. There's a, interesting cancer correlation in the sense that they're you know in the vehicle they are submerged in water but above them is this tunnel of like enchanted starry material looks like they're in a tunnel of stars and what did you call that canopy above the the chariot rider of of the uh, the chariot card the cyborium cyborium and it means so many things. It has so many applications, all the way to a psilocybin. The psilocybin mushroom is a—it's a an awning. You're underneath a covering. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. So another important thing is when you mentioned they're seeing enchanted animals when they get into the other dimension. 
these guys are very much symbolic of spirit possession. More in Japanese folklore, maybe than Chinese, but probably in Asian folklore in general. I know for sure in Japanese folklore that mm-hmm. the, the fox spirit bewitches people. And it's very much like the type of accusation, accusation you might have gotten, you know, Salem during the witch trials that they would say, oh, you're possessed by a fox spirit. That's why you're so much trouble. And also there's a lot of stories and mythos and all stuff, all kinds of stuff about the actuality of these possessing spirits being in some way related to, or symbolized by the Fox that they may actually be Fox spirits. And so the more tales these things have, the more powerful they are. And I think these ones have like nine tales, which is the, the most that they're said to attain in the folklore. I need to look up what a fox spirit is really called. I'm going to look that up. What were you going to say, Gordy? Oh, this is that thing where you and I were talking about the cat and nine tails, right? That's yeah. Um, which they, use, they even use in the, the video games. Isn't that one of the, isn't tails, the other, like the counterpart to Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And he's got two tails and that's why he's kind of sucks. Right. <laughs> he doesn't have nine. Right. So you notice the mountains in the background. We are in Capricorn is an earth, an earth element. And Capricorn is a hybrid creature. It's a sea goat. So it has the chimera is intrinsic to the Capricorn. Yeah, that's a great image. James, hmm. do, you, do you want me to tell that story? Yeah, it's really good. This is a great story. So the the fox it, uh, has a, a long history of mythological uh, legends. And one of my favorite legends about the fox is a story of a Japanese commander who was told to go and wipe out an entire village of innocent uh, paupers. And instead of wiping them out, he sent them... Uh, away to escape as fugitives. And he told them, I will face the consequences to save this, you know, all this, these innocent people. And so before he went to face his king, his daimo, he made some uh, certain preparations because he knew what the punishment would be for his disobedience. And then he went into the king's chamber in the top of the castle to report back to his daimo and tell him of his uh, disobedience. And the Daimo uh, ordered him to commit seppuku immediately. So he said his death, his death poem, pulls out the sword, sticks it in deep, rips it across the abdomen, traditional seppuku style, and he doubles over in a pool of blood. Now he knows the process here. He knows that the guards are going to take the body and drag it out, and he knows the whole layout of the castle. And the guards come and they pick up his body and they carry him out of the king's chamber. And they're going across the castle wall, the ramparts above. And right at that key moment, he springs to life and he startles the guards. And they both fumble back at the fact that his body is completely reanimated. And he jumps off of the castle wall onto a bamboo tree. And the bamboo tree slowly bends over the moat that surrounds the castle and allows him to jump off the edge of the bamboo tree 
And just as he jumps off the edge of the bamboo tree, he pulls out the dead fox that he had stashed in his abdominal pocket. And he puts the fox's body on the bamboo tree and lets it go. And the bamboo tree shoots the fox back up over the castle wall. And the two guards see the dead fox flying through the air. And this is the origin of the magical fox and its shape-shifting abilities. Wow. What Perfect story. timing. I mean, that story was great. I got a snack and water and went to the bathroom. And I listened to it, even though I've heard it before on this list, caught it on the actual stream. So thank you for giving me that leeway. Now I'm like fresh and ready to finish strong. I was starting to fade. I needed a little All right. up. <laughs> right on. I'm just looking over at the Rockfin chat. I haven't peeped it for a while. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I noticed, one of the notes that I wanted to um, make is the corollary. You know, I know we love the uh, Lord of the Rings chance that I wanted to, to bring that up. The correlation between the rings and the power making you mad at a certain point because he wore them because the, the dad wore them for so long, it made him power mad and took him away from the source. He had the power, but not the source, which made him ineffective with the, with the power because he, he had the power, but when he was by keeping them on too long, by only focusing on the power of it, Right. It made him lose control of what was true and what was an illusion. Because the reason he goes to that Taolo is because he hears his dead wife's voice calling yeah. to him from behind the, the, where the evil is, behind the dragon scales. And possession again, the idea of possession uh, again. Voice it's, to exactly, skull, too. Voice to skull, <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's right. And it's driving him mad. He's not because he's not connected to source. His illusions are up where he's connected to source. He's no, he he would be able to tell that that was his actual wife's voice that needed to be rescued or, or the actual demon who's behind that wall, who's telling him to let the demon out, you know, essentially. Snake made a really good comment here. Power must flow through you. Never is it to be held. That's right. It's always meant to give we're a it battery. Away. We're not about, yeah, we're not a battery in the sense we're like a conduit. I'm sorry. Yeah, nice. You know, in another point about. Which we should really apply that to the universal galvanic battery model that maybe another way of looking at it isn't so much that it is a battery, but it is a conduit in a celestial sense. Because when you look at the way the planets go from anode to cathode, like Ben got into last night on weaving spiders. Yeah. Very much a conduit yeah. concept there. Yeah. Um, just a quick point on the voice to skull is that the wife, she, she's repeating herself. She's saying almost the same thing. Uh, every time she comes, her voice is brought to him. It's we'll be together again soon. Help me, save me. We'll be together again soon. Help me, save me. And that's part of mind control is repetition, you know, mm-hmm. is say the same thing over and over until they, it must be true. Uh, and that's just an interesting uh, pattern I picked up on 
And another quick point, it, uh, uh, the initiation of the battle, uh, where the battle breaks out, we're in the sign of Capricorn, right? And there's the horn. This is the shofar. This is an, another initiation symbol uh, because we're initiating the winter. Winter, We're at the beginning point coming off this that solstice and beginning the climb uh, through the year. But I just think that's interesting that the, the ultimate battle at the end happens on the sign of Capricorn where the shofar and the ram's horn uh, comes into play. Very interesting. And we brought up uh, tales from Sonic. <laughs> Sonic does, I think, connect here more. Because look, here is Shang-Chi after he takes the rings from his father. Looks just like the rings in Sonic the Hedgehog. And also, not really Sonic related, the ten rings are in a ring around him. You know, he's the new Satan. <laughs> he's the new Saturn. Nice. He's yeah. the new one because the 10 is one. Yeah. Yeah, man. And there's so much uh, CERN uh, metaphor baked into that, that seal, that ultimate seal that they're trying to, that he's trying to break, break through. Uh, and sure enough, the you know the monsters that come out those little soul suckers, you know those are little baby Cthulhu's, and eventually uh, once enough of them uh, steal enough loosh, then the big mama daddy Cthulhu of them all comes out. You know, and, I, yeah that that um, wasn't lost on me either. Yeah, yeah. the uh, vampire thing of this yeah. part. Yeah. Um, if you guys have ever seen uh, the that version of Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman, um, mm-hmm. where he's fighting um, Dracula, and Dracula has his minions, they look like this. His children, all of his children, all of Dracula's children that go out to feed on the on the villagers and yeah. suck their souls look like these guys, and it end, uh, ends up in that Dracula is the dragon. The red dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, all sorts of symbolism yep. in this in this thing. Very vampiric. Yeah, now we're starting to get into right? the chthonic. Like, yeah, but this is there also like reptilians too. And sure. uh, so, box work is really to call back to him. Some of the best for demonstrating that the symbolism behind the vampire, but also the harpy, which is flying. The siren connecting to the mermaids and the echidna, all these things are symbolically linked to the seraphim or the winged reptiles and the, you know, angelic sailors, which are correspondent to the rings and to the circle and to the UFO and the flying saucer. Yeah. So to just further that point, let me find a screenshot I had. Got to do a lot of scrolling up and down our our chat group here, <laughs> but yep. it really does fit. And here we go. When they explain this dweller in the deep, right? They show this big wood carving, and what are they coming out of? A big ring. A big Boy, ring. That looks like a stargate, doesn't it? It also yeah. looks like a, a chakra lotus. It does. I'd have to count how many. Oh, wow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that eight, eight or nine. 
think it's, it's eight. Like eight on top of eight. Yeah. They're, they're stacked. That's, that's the 88 constellations too. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, I'm trying to remember what chakra that is. I'm going to look through some yeah. of the chakra symbolism, which one corresponds to the eight petaled. Petaled, so, uh, d- dweller on the deep or dweller in the deep. That's a D and a D, a DD, which, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, Dungeons and Dragons. But that's also Death's Door. You know, that's a 44. Hails back to the son of Sam. Uh, yeah, a lot of D, DD is very significant. Uh, and they're abductors. They're snatchers. They're rapiers. Rapiers, mm-hmm. reptiles. Those words are etymologically linked as well. Right. Yeah. And that, that's strangely like... Um, demons are aliens, that type of theme. Yeah. Or what aliens are demons, a better way to put it. Rapture. It's like a rapture. It's a rapture. It's a dark rapture. Yeah. Yeah, rapture is from the word that means rape. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same word in the etymology. It's crazy. It's crazy that they that the Catholic Church made this whole rapture mythology out of the book of Revelation, which was always ever sky clock. Like it was all Revelation is all sky clock stuff. Yep. In the order of St. John. But they made devils. it like, uh, you know, it's the opposite of well, was very akin to how they make it. They make the Bible historical. I'm not going against it being literal because it's obviously literal in the sense that it's literary, <laughs> but they're, you know, making it historical. They they apply the same concept in forward to make revelation, you know, prophetic to mm-hmm. future history. But right. either way, it's the same thing. It's taking what exists in the present moment, the now nature and the sky clock and putting you cutting you and putting you in the, the past or the future instead of the present moment. Right. You know, you're on paper and you're projecting in your mind, but you're never centered. Mm-hmm. The book of revelation of the method, sacred spider says, yeah, good one. Yeah, man. Yeah. And you know, chance, I love that, that line you dropped uh, last night in the weaving spiders about cutting the Gordian knot and how incredibly similar the Gorgon and the, the decapitating of the Gorgon, how similar that is to Alexander coming and cutting the Gordian knot. You know, because once that knot was, you know, it was prophesied to that a chosen one would come and and untie it, solve the the riddle of that knot. And once he sliced it in half with his sacred sword, there's no going back. The prophecy is fulfilled, whether you like the way it was fulfilled or not. <laughs> it was uh, there's no going back. So uh, I just love that fact that the gorgon cutting of the gorgon's head has those tentacles bound up. The, you know, the naughtiness of the hair corresponds very powerfully with the Gordian knot of uh, Alexander the Great. Which I mean, I, if anybody knows in the chat what the name of that sword was, uh, he used a, a very special sword for that fulfilling of the prophecy. And it corresponds with pulling the sword from the stone. Uh, it's just amazing how these things overlap. They just have... Uh, Cultural, it's just the cultural nuance to, you know, where it originated from. It's kind of neat. So we're jumping around the fourth act kind of a lot, but I don't think we need to give everyone a perfect (laughs) representation of the plot of this movie. They could watch it for that. 
You know, my favorite my favorite part of this scene of this fourth act was when they were preparing for the battle and his friend Katie is she starts to learn archery. And it's that moment right before uh she she's carrying all those uh arrows, uh which reminded me of the Ten of Wands, a lot of the uh variations of the Ten of Wands. Um but she doesn't she just thinks she's being helpful. She just thinks she's carrying the arrows in the bow uh out to the archery range. And that's when the matriarch that she's walking with says the most beautiful line uh any archer could ever hear. And that is if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. And that is so powerful. And it uh it's so accurate. <laughs> for her to say that uh to Katie because at that point uh Katie takes on her hero's journey and she starts to go through development. Whoa, Gordy. Is that new or is that old? Oh. Hold on, you're muted. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I've had this thing for years. Oh, wow. It's my brass skull. Dude, I should have named him years ago, but but it's just he's my, missing bunny ears. He's my my Horatio. <laughs> nice. But I keep him keep him around as my memento mori on my um, nightstand there. Sweet. But um, yeah, you guys were <clears throat> you guys were talking. <laughs> I love it. Snake Jones. This movie sucks. <laughs> hey man, it's not about that, man. We're past that. They all suck. Yeah, so true. We're so, past so true. that. We're way past that. <laughs> but you know what? I gotta say, I gotta confess. Yeah, I saw it in the theaters with the I like this one. Yeah, I liked it too. Because I'm a I'm a country. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I don't like everything about it, but overall, it, it, I was entertained. I didn't like hate every minute of it. I liked more than I didn't like. You know, a lot of people involved in making this movie have nothing to do with oh, right. communism or occultism right. or, you know, it's a to make a movie like this. It takes a lot of artists and some right. of the artists were inspired with what they did. And some were following orders and some were programmed and. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a mixed bag for sure. But yeah. that oh, ten yeah. of wands to bring it back to that uh-huh. is a ten. So you know, well, let me let me put it back on screen. Mm-hmm. We've been talking ten a lot. Ten represents completion in tarot. It represents the ten of wands specifically has a potential, according to Tesserion, a connection to survival, military endeavors, bodybuilding, martial arts, dangerous challenging sports or adventures like you know achieving mastery so it's very fitting to to connect that to ten of wands because she has a one day montage and all of a sudden she's a really good archer classic hollywood gonna need a montage right (laughs) and and the people in the background are are working bow staff you know so it's just uh incredibly apropos i thought um so uh this is so while she's having her montage, uh Sean or Jin Chi is having his uh training with uh Michelle Yao. 
And I get goosebumps just thinking about that woman. She is one of my favorite. I just, yeah, she's one of my favorite. Everything she does is just magic to me. That's it. This is the scene. This is the part in the whole scene. Guys, I was in the movie theater, and I'm I'm with my best buddy and his his son, who's like, I think maybe 10 or 11. And I'm in fucking tears. I'm, I'm fucking crying during the fight scene of this fucking movie. Oh, I was too, man. Goosebumps with this this oh. scene when she controls the wind and you see it. It shows the right. the flow. Yep. Yeah, for sure, man. Yep. And she opens him up. He goes from, you know, the fist to the, uh, you know, from earth into, into wind, into air. Mm-hmm. And she makes me think of how Mitch talks about when uh, you basically like un unplug the ether in an area when you remove a blockage, when sometimes when they like uh, gift a tower, that's a particular gnarly place. Yeah. The wind rushes in and I've had a few personal experiences kind of related to some of the stuff I got into on the weave last night, back in my days where I was uh, experimental with different psychedelics. Yeah. I had a few experiences where when I hit a certain point of like switched on this, uh, the wind would literally swirl around me. Even uh, one time it happened indoors. I felt wind <laughs> rushing around me. I don't know what everyone else was experiencing, but <laughs> nice. it makes me think of all that. This scene with the airbending too. Yeah, man. Yeah. This was a beautiful scene. I really love this part. And so, yeah, he learns uh, to, uh, he's been trained by his father in his father's style. And this is the part where he taps into that matriarchal contribution, you know, that, and, he's, and he learns to soften. And, and that becomes the secret weapon at the end when he's fighting his father because his father taught him everything he knew in that hard style. And when he is able to, sw- to flip the script, that was the style that conquered his father to begin with. That's why his father had to succumb to his mother. Because it's it like that. becoming supple and uh, flexible and yep. therefore not rigid and breakable. Yes. We should, yep. we should point out that this is his aunt as well. This is his mother's yeah. sister. Yeah. Yep. And they are basically, you know, you can think of these as kind of airbenders in that kind of bringing that avatar uh, element to the story. Yeah. Even wearing the same color. The same airbenders were. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was my favorite part in the movie. Uh, in, typical of me to to get all soft and mushy for the sake of the the kung fu metaphors. Mm-hmm. So, then we get taken to now that he's finally like tapped into the feminine side of his abilities, which would also represent the unconscious. Looking at this difficulty at the beginning card to bring it all the way back around. Yeah, man. His life force energy is now in a more harmonious and balanced expression. Therefore he can tap into the, his flow. His chi is flowing. So now he can access parts of the unconscious, the the lake or the abyss, the top element here, the deep water that he was unable to reach before. And this is demonstrated by a flashback to the scene where he is seven years old and rival gang that his father pissed off shows up at their compound 
where while dad is away and they kill his mom in front of him. I mean, he goes inside and watches through a, through the door, but that's the source of his greatest trauma. And then at right. that point, we get a real MK Ultra scene where it shows him again as the same age where dad takes him to get revenge on the gangsters that killed the mom. And he brutally murders all these guys in the middle of this restaurant there at her bar. And then at the end, he tells his son, a blood debt must be repaid with blood. And then he asked, will you help me? Which is very, very programmy, you know? Yes. Traumatize the hell out of him in this moment. Mm -hmm. And then get him to like, you know, swear an oath, basically. Yes. And I want to point out the, the reflective silver mirror wall. This is, um, so another initiation. Yep. Symbolizes. Remember the other initiation with the actor, they were seeing themselves in the mirror. There's this, this is a point he will reflect back upon for the rest of his life. That's what that, that's a good way to say, what this is about to do to him. He's about to be programmed on this traumatic moment that he will reflect back on forever throughout the rest of his life. Yeah. Very good point. And also the name of the gang is the iron gang. And they're the ones who kill his mom. And this is just interesting because, uh, uh, iron man is a nemesis to that clan of the 10 rings. And also, um, iron is forbidden in Solomon's temple. Uh, also in the fairy realm, which is where they're at, you know, iron is harmful to fairies. You were probably already going here, right? You kill his mom. Who's from the enchanted realm. She's essentially like a fae folk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a nature spirit. Fae for sure. Yeah. So it's just powerful that iron has that, uh, plays such a big role. So, okay, uh, fast forward a little bit. He resolves he's going to kill his dad uh, if he has to. Actually, he decides he's just going to do it. And then we get to the the final battle. They show up. They're all in black. The villagers, they're all in red. And uh, Shang-Chi gets his new armor costume, which is black and red, symbolizing that he's the fusion of both sides, the father and the mother. Yeah. You could almost say it's blue and red, too. Almost just enough to be Democrat Republican. <laughs> what do they call it when you mix Pepsi and Coke? What? When I was a kid, if you go to the fountain and you suicide. mix all the sodas together, it's called a suicide. suicide. Good call. <laughs> That's what nice. we got with politics. We got Pepsi and Coke mixed nice. together. Oh, and okay. So here we are at a Kyborium again. A and look Kyborium. at the five titles, too. Check it out. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. The That's the whole. Uh, Rosie Cross, Cross Rose nice. thing that's in the, uh, what is that? The, that's on the uh, swords. The, each one oh, of yeah. the, the the tarot of, of the swords is there's one of those five pointed roses, red roses in each of the, the uh, Golden Dawn deck. Interesting. So, so right now we have dad is wearing the, the alloy. The ten rings are metals. That's the winter, the diamonds, the earth element. 
and 180 degrees across the zodiac in opposition to the earth diamonds element is the wands. And the sun is rocking that bow staff. So here we have diamonds versus clubs. Uh, winter versus summer in their weapons of choice here. Hmm. I think that is appropriate metaphor. Although this is also kind of a scene where he's not quite, he he has to get one more baptism before he can actually win. Yes. So maybe he hasn't quite gone through, uh, you know, he goes into Pisces before he rises into Aries. This is very important. Yes. And we, I'll find the moment of that. His father defeats him in this fight, although he puts up a good fight. Initially, He yeah. basically says to the dad, like, um, she wouldn't want to be with you anyway if, if she was alive. He's trying to break him out of the delusions. Dad super punches him with the rings, tries to kill him, but the armor seems to be strong enough to save his life. Nice. And he goes flying off into. Let me find a good. Chance, do a little, do a little thing with your camera. You're just a little fuzzy. It's like got your microphone more than you. Mm. There you go. Love when that happens. Yep. There you go. And you know, <laughs> I, I want to point out. When yeah. You come back, camera. That when you mentioned that his camera there saves, go. there you go. His 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 armor saves him. That armor is the same color as that paper dragon that his mama gave him when he was a baby. And the armor was waiting for him at the temple. The, the, the family was ready to give him his birthright of this armor. This is all placenta metaphor. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's the, the red armor that it's the ship. Him when he's uh, when his father tries to drown him here. Right, yeah, he gets submerged dragon. in the water. This is him submerged in Pisces. Yeah, he's the two fish, you know, baby and placenta. Yeah, he's got he's got his vessel, and then so he's submerged under the water, the deepest part of the lake, which is Pisces, the deepest water, the twelfth mm-hmm. sign, and he uh, meets the dragon basically. Yes, you could. Yeah, the dragon's at the bottom of the lake. It rises up with yep. him on it. And he's rocking that sack red. And that's the Aries moment. He rides the literally rides the dragon up out of the deep water and up into the sky to the high place. Yes. And yeah, at I that mean, point, he's ready to win the uh, the fight with his dad. So that's like it, the resurrection scene because he's thought, you know, he looks like he's dead. He's submerged. Mm-hmm. He's baptized. Yep. And then his dad jumps across the across the waters and goes over to the big CERN uh, seal of CERN uh, gate while he's down below finding the family ancestry and summoning, you know, he's in the abyss. He's hitting rock bottom, as they say. All right. Having to surrender. Yeah. Yeah. And then he comes rip roaring up, right? And uh, having to know. surrender to his higher self, that red dragon. Yeah, that's this. That's back here. He has to ride that dragon back out of the water, allowing that red dragon energy to 
to kind of take over the show for him for a little while. Yeah, he becomes, you know, he he rides on the flow of this ancestral energy. He stops trying to drive and control and he learns to go with the flow in a way, which is very symbolic of the softening that allows him to defeat his father with the Tai Chi looking dance moves that we talked about early on. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the things you were talking about that ancestral energy, one of the quotes during, I'm not sure where it is, but it's when they're in the, in the uh, training, you know, kind of initiation working on their chi thing is they, they, um, one of the elders says, says you are a product of all that came before you. And yeah. that's been a real thing for, for me that I've been finding too. And another one that was great is a thousand years ago and a thousand years from now, we will always be together. She says to them. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, and we are all the, the product. It's like this, the same quote. We've heard, read this in probably hundreds of, of mythologies over all over the place that we are the product of all our ancient ancestors before us. You know, we were the sum of our ancestors that we should be embodying right now. Also relative, relevant to notice she gets her inheritance too, but it's more lunar silver. Right. Uh-huh. She's still in Which the black. Which is kind of foreshadowing her being the, the next inheritor of the, <laughs> yep. the dynasty in a way. In the in the crime sense, being the bad guy, she's going to be the bad gal in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I assume. So uh, we should probably. I think like the the last important stuff to get into, you know, is just the chthonic stuff of this dweller in the deep. I don't think we need to go much further than that. You know, we've been at it for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steam. Is uh, the steam is low for me who didn't have dinner yet? <laughs> <laughs> having fun, having fun with this though. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you guys? Where do you guys want to go? Like we've kind of de- discussed him defeating the father. The father breaks open the big CERN gate. She right. takes the rings from him. Is able to capture and redirect the 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 uh, chi, if you will, like a keto style. Yeah, and then he he throws it on the ground. Yeah. He says, fuck this. We don't have to fight. You know? And uh, that's one of my favorite moves uh, uh, in, in uh, Capoeira, in the heat of the moment. I've seen fellas who just, somebody came on real aggressive, took them out real rude, just rude. No grace at all. And then the, the guy in response, his response is, He'll do a couple walks around the ring. It'll get all pumped up, make it look like, oh, you got, you want some of this? You want some of this? And then it'll just like fake the guy out like he's about to go back into the dance and he'll turn on his heel and walk out of the ring and just leave the guy with that. Ultimate diss. Ultimate diss is you're not even worthy of seeing my best game, obviously. And to just walk out. And that's what that reminded me of. I thought that was uh, the higher, the high road, you know, there's always a high road and it can sometimes. You just, you know, with a little style, you can just leave them with their own problems. The same, this isn't mine, this is yours. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, kind of. Elsie made up. a good point in the chat 
Aquarius as being the baptism. I feel that. I feel that. And maybe uh, the Piscean aspect is following that, or we skip over Pisces and symbolism a little bit, or it's Aquarius and Pisces mm. kind of merge together in the sense well, when he gets submerged underwater and the sacrifice part representing a sacrifice of the I am or the high one. Well, that could be the point where his father gets uh, soul sucked by the dweller of the deep. Right. Yeah. Because at that, after that sacrifice, that's when yeah, he gets his soul sucked out. Yeah. What do you think? Could be. Yeah, yeah, this is, you know, this is one of the things that we talk about a lot in the conspiratorial realm is, you know, these guys who think that they're calling the shots, who are, you know, the front, the front men for the evil, for the darkness. You know, there's always a bigger fish above them. And that bigger fish, like Gordy Rose says. Oh, yeah. There's always like uh, the next level up. Yeah, they don't. They don't lose the top one. Yeah, they don't give a fuck about those middlemen and they will throw them away. That's why we had. Thousands of corporate CEOs step down in a year. They don't give a fuck. They're all throwaway pawns in the big scheme of things. And uh, and just a real quick point, I just got to point out, you know, uh, we're seeing more and more Cthulhu uh, symbolism as as we go forward, you know. And for a lot of people, like out on that West Coast, out on that left coast, they think it's all fun and games and they're real cute about it. You know, you look up Cthulhu and there's like little fan clubs and whatever, and they're real cute about it. But some of that shit that we read about the vampire cults, they don't, they frown on that cutesy wootsy bullshit. <laughs> they take themselves very seriously. So, mm-hmm. so on one level, you got these guys, these cartoonists who are like making Zodiacs with Cthulhu monsters and oh, look at me. We can play Dungeons and Dragons. But they're just fucking pawns playing into a real dark agenda. And then this is also, if you missed it on the weave, uh, I've, I have it in my mind that the Marvel Avengers series is a hail back to the Merovingian bloodlines. And the Merovingian bloodlines, something really interesting about them is they don't claim a divine right to rule. They don't claim to be that their mother had a virgin birth. They're claiming that their matriarch, many, many uh, matriarchs past were raped by sea monsters. And that's where, (laughs) that's where, yeah, that's where this Cthulhu bullshit is going to take you is not up. It's all about dragging people down. And we brought that up in um, the weave, the Merovingian. Mer is a sea. Vin, it's like wine. Wine is symbolic of blood. The yeah. Merovingian, I think, is a name encoding sea blooded. Yes. And so they got uh, salty blood. They're salty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, uh, and just some cultural things to think about is this is where, you know, the, uh, the king of the Franks versus the Anglo Saxons, you know, that, that's a, where the cultural line in the sand is being drawn here. And I don't think anybody has the fucking rule right to rule anybody, whether your grandma was raped by Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't matter what happened to your grandma. Uh, but it gives us clarity when we see these signs and symbols, uh, who they're hailing back to, what family that they're uh, pledging allegiance to. And it's not fun and games. <laughs> hmm. 
Not at all. Not at all. So driving forward, yeah, we see the twins, if you will. They're not exactly twins. They ride the dragon. Dragon almost gets its soul sucked out by the dweller in darkness. You know, they almost lose their inheritance in that metaphorical sense. But then we get the archer shot. Magically shoots the Cholulu right in the neck. (laughs) Saving the day. And uh, then, like, for sure, a real high Aries type uh, warrior moment is when Shang-Chi is falling through the air. It's actually a pretty awesome scene, in my opinion. A good uh-huh. climactic scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can. Yeah, that's to a great one. But he's like falling through the air and controlling the rings and shoots them into the creature's mouth. Yeah. More mouth symbolism. And then they churn up the monster from inside. Mm-hmm. And then he pulls them all out with a big kung fu. What is that move called? They call it a Kamehameha, which is a Dragon Ball Z reference, but. Nice. You know, it's uh, very Hadouken like as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so I want to point out with Katie's shot with that uh, that one the, that was her only shot. She wasn't shooting. Well, she, she was shooting arrows, but that was the one that counted. Was the one where she shot the dragon the last in the arrow. throat. That's the time. That's the moment where she said, "Holy shit!" But she was saying it about herself. That was the moment she realized that she's a badass too. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really ama- interesting that, they, that uh, at first she was externalizing the hierarchy by saying, holy shit, by being impressed by somebody else. But in that moment, she was saying, holy shit for her damn self. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I think we're there. I think we're there, guys. Yeah, man. I think, I think we wrap we, this up. We hit all the good stuff. It's good stuff. And there's a couple other st- spots, like more ten symbolism. I mean, we really can't get it all. Uh-huh. <laughs> the whole movie, you'd have to like, you know, depict it scene by scene. But there's yeah. a the last maybe point that I thought of was how when his father. This is right back in the middle of the movie when he ran away from his father. His dad knew where he was the whole time and said, "I gave you ten years to live your life." So more 10 stuff, but yeah, we already kind of dug into that really well. So what do you guys think? Um, what, what movie should we do next? Maybe people can let us know on telegram or in the chat right now. I have two hanging chads before we, Oh, please. Yeah. Hanging chads. Get all of those. Two, two <laughs> quick hanging chads. One is, uh, in the Easter egg scene at the end, uh, where they uh, they're regaling their friends with the details of the battle at the bar, oh, mm-hmm. and they're telling them all the details. They're being completely forthright and just speaking the truth. And their friends are just sitting there; they can't even hear it. They did. It's inconceivable. It just is not rea- part of reality for them. And this like no nuts guy on the left with his little foo foo <laughs> girly drink. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So they they can't even. Uh, conceive of uh of their abilities that they found within themselves so this girl she starts waving her hands around and she's like you're telling me that all this mumbo jumbo mumbo jumbo well when she's waving her hands around strangely enough behind herself a portal is invoked i noticed that too 
She was doing this motion like Wong would do to open the portal. You got it. So she is almost unknowingly, it's almost as though she is, uh, doesn't even realize her own abilities. But even though we know Wong is opening the portal, but it has this weird parallel that it's almost like she's opening it without, in, in, but she's in denial of her own ability. Well, the chi itself is is controlling her to do it because it's happening around her. Oh. Therefore, she can't help but to be a conduit for oh, nice. yeah. Nice. Like, just like it's, we all reflect inner and outer world. Yes. Yeah. But she's unconsciously doing it, whereas the, the heroes have learned yes. that they're Great part point. of this. Great point, Gordy. That she's uh she's almost obeying uh of the compulsion she doesn't acknowledge. Right. And she's her, her subconscious, she's doing it subconsciously, but acknowledging it, not knowing right until she actually sees Wong uh, walk out of the portal itself. Right. And then what does Wong do? He comes, he comes right in between them. He splits the lovers with a drink. Right. So this is the summer solstice. Wong is walking out of the summer solstice dividing oh, line, the gate up at the nice. top, and he splits the lovers and he drinks her essence. He steals her drink and he, and he drinks her. He looshes her because, <laughs> she's, because she's unaware that there are uh, forces and elements in high places. And then uh, they so- all go out drinking together. And yes. sing Hotel California at the karaoke bar. And they sing Hotel California at the karaoke bar. And I just want to point out that Hollywood is no longer in California. This is yeah, a very good point. Yes, this is a watch watch over here and don't look at what the hand is doing. This uh, Hollywood's in Georgia now. And that's uh, that's just something to think about. That's uh, really, really something to think about. That's, uh, you know, not just the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, you know, we had those 100 headless goats floating down the Chattahoochee River, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, a, man, I never even made the connection right. that maybe that has something to do with the Hollywood migration. Yeah, buddy. There's so much to talk about with that. Chattahoochee. Uh, there's a lot of mercurial, mercury ingredients to that spell that happened uh, very recently. So I just wanted to point that out that, you know, they want people to uh, geomantically, they want people to direct their animosity towards California. And that's not where it's at. That uh, much like I don't think Jerusalem is, is over there where everybody thinks it is. I think the real Jerusalem is still rooted in Spain. And there are high spells afoot when they send your direction of your energy, your animosity or your concern, whatever, when they put it in one spot, but it doesn't really belong there. There's a lot to think about with that. So I just wanted to put that forward. The Hotel California. Classic art of war, martial arts maneuver. You got it, man. Yep. Yep. Decoy. Okay. Those are my, <laughs> those are my hanging chats. Cool. <laughs> Do you got any hanging chats? No, man, there's always, there's, I, I don't, I wouldn't know what to, what to, to focus on, <laughs> what to focus on, right? There's this, well, and this is what happens every single time we all talk is there's a hundred little more points of light on that fractal that we, we need to go look and 
in that part of that whatever Mandelbrot set that is that <laughs> because it never ends. It's it's one illusion after one. Once we drop one illusion, there's going to be another one after that, and another one after that. Yeah, but we're getting through them. We're, yeah, we're wading through this shit. Eventually, you know, yeah. maybe we'll get one answer. <laughs> You know something that happened last time that we did this with the uh, with the uh, Eternals. Uh, the next morning, I had like realizations coming to me, like from processing it overnight, and so I was like putting little details we forgot in the comments section. So maybe if there's any hanging, that. yeah, oh, if there's cool. any hanging chads that come up from this, we'll just people can Dude. check it in the comments section. We could probably do another one on Eternals, actually, because Cheney's got a whole different idea of this this thing completely. She should, yeah. Somebody should have of, somebody so. on their show, and we could revisit the whole thing. Cheney's yeah, doesn't, Cheney doesn't do visual, though. She's like strictly audio, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we ought to get her in on one of these sometime. That's it. That's it. We'll have her come in with us. Yeah, I think yeah, we cool. could. I think we could. Um, I like doing it monthly, but we'll see. Maybe one of these months we'll do an extra bonus round because this is fun. Yeah, Gabriel, is. I got to give you props, man. You really carried us through the last 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, you you made it through the five and a half hour weave last night. Maybe you got some good sleep after that or something, but man, uh, doing six to eight hours on the air within less than 48 hours is no mean feat. And man, yeah. we just cranked out three. So thanks nice. guys. Grateful. Hard work yeah. you guys. Yeah. yeah. This is, it's a job y'all. It's a job. You should consider supporting us. <laughs> it's not like completely just sit down and go. There's a lot that goes yeah. into it. Even yeah. something fun just for fun, like these Marvel decodes. Mm-hmm. But will, I think um, when we decide the next movie, Watch out for us to announce that, like on the Interverse and probably Weaving Spiders telegrams. I'll try to announce that earlier next time in case someone out there wants to watch the movie that we're going to talk about uh, ahead of time. Yeah. And I hope you all enjoyed it. I really appreciate the people that have been around from the beginning and that are listening to the replay. And awesome to have you with us, everyone. And Gordy, Gabriel, always a pleasure to work with you gentlemen. You too, Chance. I appreciate you doing this. Y'all are dependable as can be. Yeah, man. Much love, everybody. Thank you, gentlemen. Fun. Much love. As Gabe would say, strength and love. Strength and love.